0: No more room in hell. The dead will start a podcast. Everybody and welcome to No More Room in Hell number forty-five. This is Mike joining me as always. It's Mr. Venom. What's up, Venom? How are you?
1: Greetings and salutations, spring breakers. And yes, I know it's May, but as is the tradition on No More Room in Hell, we do everything late. So it's spring break in May, folks.
0: Yeah, I'm, I, I bet some places, too, they actually get four seasons, so they might be in late spring still, whereas yeah. here in California, most of us are, like, already hit summer.
1: Right, right. The spring break being <laughs> traditionally March, at least for college students, you know, I, that's, like, the traditional spring break that, you know, when everybody goes to Florida or wherever, wherever the fuck they're going to go. Um, so, yeah, so I know we're very late, but that's okay, because we're always late, so rock on. <laughs>
0: All right, and then joining us as always as well, it's Derek. How are you doing, Derek?
1: Hey, yo.
0: What's going on?
1: <laughs> More razor? <laughs> yeah. Bad. So guy. <laughs>
0: So we are recording coming off uh, one of the, uh, I guess, few or maybe only two. I I didn't look ahead too far. Uh, Friday the 13th this year. Uh, Did either of you guys do anything for Friday the 13th? Do you even marathon movies or even make it a point anymore to watch Friday movies?
1: I'll watch at least one every Friday the 13th just and I'm barely watching it. It's usually just on in the background while I'm doing other stuff, playing online poker or whatever the case may be, but yeah, I'll always watch at least one. So this year, um I, I usually do them in order. So for this particular Friday the 13th, I watched the, the final chapter. Nice. Okay.
0: A lot of a lot of people's number 1.
1: And, as is mine, yeah. <laughs> My favorite slasher, in fact, of all time. Uh, a little bit of a controversial statement there, but I don't care. I'll die on that hill. Yeah, it's not too common. Uh, so. Yeah, you know, there's this, you know, there's this guy from Haddonfield that you know a lot of people like to say may, has the best slasher, and which is fine. It's an absolute masterpiece. It's a ten out of ten, awesome movie. But it's just not my favorite. That's all. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah I mean. I don't know. Yeah, when it comes to like slashers, it it feels like it really comes down to like personal preference. Because uh, a lot of times when people are arguing over like the best one, it it feels like their arguments can be made interchangeably with like the slasher they're not arguing in favor for. It's valid. Um, <laughs> but anyways, yeah, for me, I, I I had something on in the background. I think it was like whatever AMC does. It's like I've seen them all so many times—the uncut versions, the cut versions it's just, and it, you it, you know they come up on the TV just randomly so much even when it's not Friday the 13th i i don't uh i don't really marathon them anymore but uh since i'm usually working if uh if i need something to watch i'm like yeah i bet amc's Marathon them, or just find them streaming somewhere. I do have a set of them. Uh, I, I think it's the old DVD set. So like, if I really, if I really was pressed and needed to watch them, I could throw in those. But they're usually airing somewhere at all times. They can be found pretty easily. So I think I had like, you know, the first handful of them going during the day, but kind of in a half pay, half paying attention mode, just because I was working. But, uh, you know, those are movies that you almost don't even need to pay attention to anymore just because I've seen them so many damn times.
1: Yeah. Um, to answer your original question, I, I don't really marathon anything. I never marathon anything. It's just not my style. I, 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 I'm i a very restless soul. I can't sit around and watch movies for six hours, especially if it's the same type of movie. You know, like if it's a trilogy or something like that, I, I just get restless way too quickly. So. Yeah, marathoning. I mean, I watched them all when the Scream Factory box set came out last or two years ago, whatever it was. Um, I went ahead and watched all 12 movies and all the special features. But as far as like doing it every Friday the 13th, nah, I got way better shit to do than sit around the house watching movies. (laughs) Uh,
0: Yeah, Mm. it just for me, it just really depends. I mean. If if I got nothing going on that day, I'll i probably tend to watch more, but it's not like I'm canceling any plans or like making those my plans, really. Yeah, you know?
1: exactly.
0: I thought you said you were canceled, huh? Mike.
1: <laughs> <Later>.
0: <laughs> not yet. It's probably coming though, I'm sure. We all will be eventually. Yeah, we'll find
2: we'll find out if Mike's a cannibal.
1: Keep talking shit about Disney and Marvel, they'll make you disappear. <laughs>
2: They snap you out of existence.
0: Well, that's the thing. I don't really talk that much shit about Disney. Just, just Marvel, (laughs) and not even really so much anymore. Anyway. Uh, Um. Speaking of that, I'm assuming you guys both saw that Doctor Strange movie.
1: Fuck it, right? Twice. Yeah, I did. Twice. What'd you think of it? I loved it. I saw it twice. I I, I guess I
0: saw it twice. Yeah, that answers that question.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, I don't want to talk too much about it because I think it's a movie. If you're a genre fan, you know our genre, and and a Marvel fan, there's absolutely no reason not to go see this movie. It is, yeah. and it's a it's a theater experience, folks. Like if um, I saw it in 3D once, and holy shit, yeah, the 3D in this movie. It's not like Avatar greatness by any stretch, but you know, considering how the twists and turns in this movie and all the different realms and everything and reality is breaking down on themselves. The 3d really works for this movie. It might, it might actually be disorienting for some people. Like if you get motion sickness easy, I'd probably say avoid yeah. this one in 3d, but otherwise, yeah, I love this movie. This was great.
2: Yeah. Pizza Papa for life, yo. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh,
2: yeah. Yeah. Venom probably knows my favorite scene is when they play a certain piece of music.
1: (laughs) I think it was a lot of people's favorite scene.
2: (laughs) Just brought back so many childhood memories.
1: Yeah, it really, I mean, yeah, my nipples got hard pretty much instantly.
0: (laughs) So does it it feel like a Raimi-directed movie? Oh, 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 it's
1: Evil Dead 4. Oh, yeah, dude, this this guy has Raimi's DNA all over it, and I mean that in the grossest possible way. Oh yeah, this is a Raimi movie through and fucking through. You know, you—I mean—you could call this "Drag Me Through the Multiverse." Honestly,
2: <laughs> <laughs> some J horror shit in there too with the Scarlet Witch. <laughs>
1: That's right. That one. There's one stalking scene that I, I won't give any details on, but. Holy shit. Like a lot of people saw the trailer and they see like some of the big monsters in it. And then they hear that there's horror elements. So they assume that the monsters are going to be like the driving force of the horror in this. And it's Uh not, I mean, there is a scene with just a regular, a plain old superhero chasing after a couple of other people. And it is the most slasher fucking scene ever. And it's the score, the way it's shot. It's legit horror. So, yeah, uh, I mean, I don't want to talk too much more about it, but yeah, Yeah. you you, got to see it. If you're a fan of horror and a fan of Marvel, why haven't you seen it already?
2: Well, just Sam Raimi, you know. It's it's
1: fucking Sam Raimi. (laughs) And when Sam Raimi makes a movie, we know who's always in that movie. So, you know, you're getting an appearance by a certain special guy. So, fucking, no reason not to see this if you're a Raimi fan. (laughs) Yep, that's
0: awesome. Yeah, um, it, it's uh, the it, when I saw advertisements for it, actually looks pretty interesting. It's just I, I didn't see the first Doctor Strange, so I don't know if you really need to or not.
1: I mean, it explains a little bit more about him. There, there are going to be some Easter eggs in the second one that might be a little little bit of a head scratcher if you didn't yeah. see the first. The whole thing with the watch, the whole thing with the hands. I mean, yeah, you kind of. Yeah. I, I I can't honestly say, knowing what I know about Mike, I, I can't honestly say that you would definitely enjoy the first Doctor Strange. It might be a little bit of a drag for you, but the second one I know you would love. But I still can't recommend seeing it without seeing the first one. It, it, it's a weird, you know,
2: catch. Yeah, yeah. Plus they make references. Like there's a, a quick reference to the last Spider-Man movie, but yeah. you don't have to really watch it.
1: I mean, there's references to the What If series. I don't know if anybody watched the Disney Plus animated series. I actually watched that leading up to this. That's good, because there's a couple of major plot points in this one that you'd be scratching your head, like, what the fuck is going on? (laughs) Unless you saw that show. So, yeah. Yeah, Marvel ties all their content together really nicely. I, I know a lot of people don't like that, because it kind of forces you to watch all Marvel content, which, of course, makes Disney more money, but... At the same time, th- this universe that they built is just so stellar and so yeah. interesting. And, you know, it either works for you or it doesn't. There's there's yeah. very little middle ground to this.
2: Yeah, fuck. I wouldn't, you know, it's kind of sad to say this, but I think Mike would actually have to watch WandaVision, too, to get some of the context.
0: Of, oh, good uh, God. What's See kind of the it.
1: problem. Yeah, they're, they're, at this point, I mean, we're in year 11 now with the MCU. I mean, this is 11 or 12. I forget what year the first Iron Man came out, but yeah, we're already in like 11, 12, 13 years of the MCU, and that's a lot of information. You don't necessarily have to see every single MCU movie to watch the latest one, but there's almost always going to be prerequisites. You know, at least Yeah,
2: you have have, character context of where they are now as a character and why they're doing the things that they are doing. You know,
0: Yeah, I mean, mean, it makes sense, you know, there's going to be, like, little connections and stuff, um, or, you know, little bits and pieces of the plot, or arcs, side arcs, or whatever, that I might not fully understand what's going on, but it seems like the movie will be fun enough, at least this particular one, that I, I could I mean, if you, probably yeah. get through. If it.
1: you're just going to check out, like, a good Sam Raimi movie, then, I, yeah, I'd say don't even worry about the other shit. Just accept the fact that you're not going to know totally what's going on, but I still think you're going to enjoy the movie, so. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Nice. Well, I mean, I guess that's the, uh, that's sort of, like, a segue into the what we've been watching segment, because I, I guess <laughs> we'll, count, we'll count it. I mean, it doesn't have to be if officially part of your three but uh, I mean oh well. I, I, I was, I was just interested because I, I know Venom I mean I knew you saw it and I was pretty sure Derek probably had seen it so I just wanted to see what you guys thought and because of the whole Sam Raimi thing I i felt it made it, uh, uh, it qualified enough to be brought up here absolutely Um, Okay, so, yeah, that said, we will officially get into the watching uh, part, and uh, Venom, you're up first.
1: All right, well, I'll try to keep it to the newer movies as much as possible, even though I did recently get to do a top 10 Spanish horror list, which, of course, is a subgenre that I absolutely adore. But let's start with the new stuff first. Um, This film is called Read. Point. It is a very low budget Bigfoot movie. It is a Bigfoot horror film just released this past April uh, 2022. It is directed by Dale Fabrigar and uh has a lot of people, a lot of unrecognizable names, except for Joe Estevez. Yes, Joe Estevez yes. is still acting. And man, when you look at Joe Estevez's IMDb, that guy is goddamn busy. Like, he must owe the mob money or something because he'll do any movie. And thank God, because I love Joe Estevez. I love, and in this movie especially, he plays the crazy Ralph character where he, you know, the, you're doomed, you're all going to die, blah, 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 which is so tailor made for old Joe Estevez that it's really the only saving grace of the movie, unfortunately. Um, As I mentioned, it is a Bigfoot movie. Uh, It's a story of a girl who loses her family one night in a car accident. But right at the end, like just after the accident occurs, she kind of comes to and she thinks she sees Bigfoot dragging her family away. It is now years later and she has come back to the Pine Barrens. Yes, the Pine Barrens of uh, New Jersey. So it is kind of a Jersey Devil story. along with kind of a Bigfoot story. It's kind of, I mean, they mentioned the Jersey Devil multiple times in the film, but when you look at it, the thing kind of looks like a Bigfoot ripoff, so it's really a matter of how you look at the film. But ultimately, I can't really recommend this one. It's got decent creature design. I think that this creature looks really cool. Um, There's a cool little twist at the end that I'm, I'm usually not the biggest fan of swerves in horror films, but This one has one that actually kind of works for me because it's actually a swerve and a swerve, which if that kind of makes sense, (laughs) one of those uh, uh, double twists, if you will. But in this particular instance, it worked. Unfortunately, the movie is barely watchable. Um, Bad dialogue, bad performances bad cinematography bad editing like i said about the only quality in this film is watching joe estevez be insane and the creature design on the jersey devil slash bigfoot so but yeah um at least it's short it's an hour and 16 minutes it's a quick watch um it gets right to the action right away you don't have to wait long it's not a slow burn but you know not to say that that's a benefit for this particular film but yeah there it is. Reed's Point, 2022 does not get a recommendation from me, but I've also seen a lot worse. So there you go. Yeah. I'm going to assume neither of you guys have seen this one.
0: No. No. And it's probably going to stay that way. Thanks to uh, your thoughts on it.
1: I might just <laughs> yeah, yeah. watch it for Joe Estevez though. I, I, like I said, I, I, I like Joe Estevez. I, I'm a big fan of his late eighties, early nineties, like sci-fi and action garbagey movies that he's made. And it just kind of endeared him almost like a Tom Atkins. Even though Tom Atkins actually did quality movies, I kind of put him on the same level where time I see Joe Estevez, it just makes me smile no matter what he's doing. So, yeah. If you're an Estevez fan, and unfortunately, he's not in the movie much. I mean, he's the crazy Ralph. So, you know, you, you only really get like maybe two major scenes with him in there. But, you know, for whatever it's worth, if you're a fan, check it out. If not, you can go ahead and miss this one.
3: Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, John Carpenter just won Best Score for Halloween Kills on the Chainsaw Awards. If anyone cares, it's the best
3: <laughs> part of the movie.
0: I mean, That's it the only is good part of the movie. <laughs> yeah, it was up against uh, In the Earth, which I don't. Oh, know I think well, I, I do think that was a good score. I never saw the movie called Hurt. Did you guys? Is that, is that the Johnny Cash music video? <laughs> it is that, too. Um, Alright, uh, Derek, uh, what do you got up first? I been watching new
2: movies, but it's been usually for fresh cuts.
0: Oh. Well, you know? yes, you've been a guest, to what, two weeks in a row?
2: Yes! And I'll be there tomorrow, motherfucker. <laughs> nice.
0: Well, hopefully you get a finally get a movie that's worth talking about. Although oh, yeah. the last one I wasn't too bad, movies. I don't think. Yeah.
2: I enjoyed both my movies so far.
0: I'm just saying. Well, good. My some some my people, every time movie. they show up to Fresh Cuts, they get a shitty one. So.
1: <laughs> Sorry, Dan and Lacey. Speaking
0: <laughs> <Yeah.
2: laughs> of amazing movies, I watched the movie called Scorpius Gigantis.
0: Uh, with a title like that, please tell me more.
2: It's, oh, it's a, it's creature comforts material. Yeah, you know, it's a giant killer scorpion movie that where these scorpions are engineered and made by the U.S. military, and they get loose. So they send the military group in to, you know, put the situation at hold, and uh, of course, uh, pretty much this movie is Carnage War Three with scorpions. Awesome. <laughs> And which makes sense because it's produced by Roger Corman, and uh, it stars a uh, Venom's favorite actor, Jeff Faye, as the head of the army. Yeah, yeah, the scorpions look pretty shitty in this. The CGI, it's like maybe like early, early sci-fi channel CGI. If that makes sense, kind of like if you think like Dinocroc or any of like those other. Early two thousands Roger Corman movies, it's kind of like that. Uh huh.
3: Yeah. yeah,
2: but they mix practicals in there too, which I I kind of appreciate with early Sci Fi Channel. You know, like body rips and tears and blood. So you know you get that to look forward to. It's a, it's a you get that one substitute, but then you get the, some good gore in the middle of it too. So, yeah, if you like giant scorpions, I'm like actually on the giant scorpion kick recently. Uh, I actually got a uh, Amphibious, which is a Brian Usna-directed giant scorpion movie coming in the mail. Huh. I never
3: saw yeah. that. That's
2: oh, fun. Yeah, and you know, there's Tail Sting, which is giant scorpions yeah. on a plane.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> makes the the classic
1: uh, the black scorpion.
2: Oh, yeah. Uh. This
0: is... <laughs> I was going to say, speaking of creature, well, not creature converts, but creature features, uh, I'm almost thinking, like, should we dump Firestarter and go with Sharkbait or whatever the hell it's called? Because God, Firestarter is getting lavished.
1: Oh, no. I kind of expected it to be. I mean, ultimately, the original isn't really ultra highly regarded. Um, that's probably why you know it took this long to get a remake for Firestarter, because I think the interest just wasn't there. But I'm a fan of the original for whatever it's worth, um, and I will be watching the new one this week. So I- I'll kind of chime in and kind of let us know if it's something that I think Mike and Don should also watch otherwise. And Derek. Um, oh, yeah, that guy.
3: <laughs>
0: yeah, Bye. I mean, I'll... I'll probably be watching it regardless. Yeah. It's just, if we if we don't end up doing it on first Cuts, I'll just talk about it, like, on our, this show's next episode. But, uh, man, like, I, I wasn't really expecting it to be much. But even with that said, it's, like, some of the things I'm hearing, which, of course, people go I, overboard a lot, but maybe I, I, not.
2: <laughs> I actually just started it because it's on Peacock. Right, yeah, that's what I'll watch it. And, you know, the, and I'm like, music by John Carpenter. what the fuck is going on?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. yeah, so there'll probably be one saving grace, at least, of the movie.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I am cautiously um, optimistic.
0: Yeah, yeah. well, I uh, I is if, it, if it's going to me now, um, I, I'll say that what I did watch was the original Firestarter, because I had forgotten that we were doing the Sadness first, so I was sort of like, oh, well, I haven't seen Firestarter in a long time, and I threw on Peacock. And uh, to my knowledge, I didn't have before. And they also put that Firestarter sequel miniseries on there. So I watched the first episode of that and the original. Um, I'll save my thoughts on the miniseries for a different time (laughs) because I didn't watch the whole thing. So I kind of want to.
2: Malcolm McDowell with Burnface.
0: Yeah, Malcolm McDowell. I mean, he's always Malcolm McDowell. So not much to criticize on his part. But uh, the show itself, well, I'll. Talk about it when I finish it. But uh, as far as the original movie, yeah, Venom, I had heard too that the first one wasn't held up in that high regard. And I was like, well, I haven't seen it in a long time, so let's check it out. Well, one thing I will say is I think, regardless of what people think of the strength of the story of the movie overall, I think what does kind of carry and why maybe I liked it more than I thought I would was the cast is really good. Yes, like, absolutely. Uh, uh, Martin G. Sheen and George C. Scott. Like, they carry it. And then Drew Barrymore, I've always said, like, when it comes to uh, kid actors and actresses, there's, I mean, obviously, this is generally speaking, but I feel like there's two camps of them. There's there's uh, the ones that are cast because, hey, this movie needs a kid, and we need to throw a kid in here. Then there's actors and actresses that just happen to still be kids, and Yes, is Drew Barrymore as refined as she would go on to be as a teenager and an adult? No, but she's still really good as a kid like for what she needs to be for a movie like this. Um, So while the movie overall, you could say it's a little light, I I think the cast is so good that it kind of just carries it. It made me invested in the story just to see what was going on. So. Yeah, uh Firestarter the original was my first one we watched and uh like I said sometimes when you just have a really good cast that can do yep. things for a movie um but yeah what plus what you guys got that about awesome, the
2: original Yeah, plus I got that awesome Tangerine Dream score in that movie
1: Exactly. I yeah, I think the movie is very underrated. I I think that movie just Because it doesn't have as much visceral action as some horror fans would like, you know, it doesn't have any traditional stalking or, you know, it's it's just a very different kind of horror film that, you know, the fans aren't going to gravitate towards it. And then critics, I actually am surprised that critics didn't give this uh, slightly higher scores considering the cast. Considering the fairly solid story, I mean the story is not like monumental, but it's a it's a fairly solid story. Yeah. Um. And the performances are great, so I was a little shocked that critics didn't kind of you know gravitate towards this one as much as some people, but you know, so we'll see. Um. As far as the remake goes, you know, I'm not holding out too many high hopes, um. Especially considering you know the original didn't necessarily shake up the world when it came out, so. We'll see, but but I am solidly a fan of the original. I like it a lot. It, it, it's it, just like Mike said. It's those performances. Those performances make the movie. Yeah,
0: and I, I've I've never read the book, so I don't know what comparisons it draws on, except for like the obvious stuff. Well, but
2: with the institute and stuff, it talks it expands that
0: because, Okay. Yeah. See, it? I really like that stuff because. That's what I loved really about the first season of uh, Stranger Things was like the whole evil lab and the experiments and stuff. And I was hoping like that, that would carry into more of Stranger Things. They kind of went away from that. So when Firestarter, when they had all that kind of stuff going on, and I, I was very much interested in seeing that. Um, and I love kind of like the arc of you know the George C. Scott and Martin Sheen. Uh, relationship, or even you know the co the colleague uh, relationship, where it didn't ever seem like they truly trusted each other's motivations either. And Martin, and they tried to like make Martin Sheen a little more sympathetic until he figures out her powers and the potential. And then all of a sudden, he does the uber evil turn of like, "Well, she can never see her father." Then it's like, "Oh shit!" And <laughs> then of course George C. Scott, you know, the whole time he's he's he he's evil but as he's trying to like win her over by tricking a child mine and then there's part of you thinking well is she really winning him over and there's that little part where you think maybe but then nah he was he was just staying true to like evil uh, military yeah. leader the whole time and i i just thought it was well done you know, it, it was written well, I thought so. And like I said, maybe it's just the quality of the actors that made me think it was better than it was. But hey, if you can manage to cast a bunch of great fucking actors, then kudos.
2: Yeah, you got like Art Carney in there too, and Antonio Farris. Uh-huh.
0: Louise Fletcher, <laughs> fucking uh, what's her name? Uh, the mom before she dies. Uh, Heather Locklear. Or, <laughs> Heather Locklear. I knew the first name. I was like, what the fuck's her last name? Yeah, man, I forgot what it was like for her to look so damn young like she... Like, <laughs> I mean, no, you know, no, not speaking ill. Are you saying that Richie St. But... sucked
2: the soul out of her?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Quite possibly so. Let me leave. Yeah, I mean, I was, you see, I was so young during like her quote-unquote like, uh, uh sex what the fuck am I thinking Melrose Place I, just her iconic years of being like a sex symbol because like I Dynasty. even think Melrose Place was a little past that. Like yeah, Melrose she was Rose still redeemed. Definitely. That was my yeah, she was still seen as beautiful, but like I'm How thinking you know, what, mid eighties to like early nineties or whatever.
1: When she was on Dynasty, she was absolutely just her most beautiful. Just right, stunning. Right. Fucking stunning.
0: <laughs> yep. <laughs> So, and then yeah. she
1: married a rock star and yeah, that, 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 that's just, that's a formula for ruining everything.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think she was like married to a couple or cause I think she, she was with Tommy Lee before Pam Anderson. right? Oh yeah.
1: Much before. Yep. Uh,
0: and, and then the guy from yeah.
1: Warrant, I think. Right. Or was that um, Pam Anderson? But, I,
0: th- I thought she was like with one of the Bon Jovi guys. Or, like, yeah, Ricky Sambora. Boring.
1: With Sambora, yeah, but th- yeah. they were, yeah. I-, I thought she had another guy in between there, but I might be wrong. Maybe. I, might be Shit.
0: Of- Maybe. I wouldn't be surprised if she like went through the Brett Michaels turn style. <laughs>
1: oh, God. I don't know. No one ever admits to that, though. So.
0: Every rose
2: yeah. is a thorn. That's what that song is about. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all
0: right. Uh, back to you, Venom.
1: All right, for my next movie, this is going to be Mr. Venom's must-watch of the week. Yes, uh, this movie really, really blew me away. This is, of course, a brand-new film, 2022. This movie comes out of Finland. It actually got a short theatrical run out here in the U.S. Uh, it, It probably was only in the major cities, New York, L.A., Chicago. I'm not sure, but... We definitely got it here out in L.A., and the opportunity to watch Finnish horror at an actual AMC theater on a big screen is uh, something I can't pass up. So, yes, I went to see Hatching. Um, it has a, its Finnish version of the word. I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce. Holy shit. There are, I've never seen that many consonants in one word. Anyway... Um, hatching is the story of a young gymnast who tries desperately to please her demanding mother discovers a strange egg, which she hides under her bed and keeps warm until it hatches and what emerges shocks them all. Yeah, this movie, um, this movie is solidly a creature feature. So Derek, you need to watch this. Um, For for those who haven't seen the trailer, um, you know, I watched the trailer after I saw the film. Uh, You know, basically, it just shows a young girl with an egg that she finds out in the woods. She ends up taking it home. The egg somehow gets bigger, like exponentially larger and then eventually hatches. And one of the cool things I like about this film is that because it was finished horror and it seems like they're kind of going for a more elevated horror feel, I figured that this was going to be like a slow burn type horror film where it was going to kind of lead up to the egg hatching. But no, my friends, the egg hatches in the first act and what comes out is fucking nightmare fuel, just absolutely nightmarish. And then not only what it is when it hatches, but then what it eventually becomes is even more nightmarish. Maybe not so much um, visually, so much as psychologically. Um, This movie has a very distinct metaphor. I can't say what it is because it'll pretty much give away the entire story. But, you know, once you kind of watch it, I I think most people, if you know anything about, you know, um, birds, aviaries, things like that, I think you'll kind of see the metaphor and kind of understand what they were going for, (laughs) especially with the very final, powerful scene of this film. The the very final scene is is one that will leave a lot of people with their jaw dropped um, when you kind of see what exactly is going on with this hatchling. So, yeah, Uh, I can't really say much more than that, folks. Um, It's a great movie. It's an hour and 25 minutes long. It's a quick watch. It gets right to the action fairly quickly. Uh, I'm sure it'll hit VOD soon enough. I'm not sure if it actually has a VOD release planned yet or not. I mean, I'm sure it's got one planned. I just don't know if they've announced any dates or anything. I think the 17th. Oh, awesome. The the sooner the better, because I think uh, a lot of people who are kind of like me, who like drama in their horror, who like, you know, dramatic horror, but with symbolism and subtext are really going to like this movie. This movie, as of right now, this is my number two horror film of of 2022. And, you know, I wouldn't call it a perfect 10 out of 10, but it was pretty damn close. So, yeah. Uh, that that's hatching 2022 out of Finland. Uh, the movie is uh, in Finnish so of course you have to deal with subtitles American horror fans so you know prepare for that but I, I if you know anything about me and the, the type of horror that's always like at the top of my lists at the end of the year stuff like Saint Maud, Hereditary, The Lighthouse things like that you know that you, you kind of know what kind of movie you're getting with the ha- with Hatching. It's it's very cerebral but there's still viscera in there um and a great creature just an awesome creature design so yeah check out check out hatching if you get a chance hopefully i didn't talk it up too much and people are going to get disappointed when they actually see it but it really struck me as a powerful film with a powerful message when i saw it so yeah check it out mr venom's must watch of the week hatching yeah Yeah,
0: i was i was looking forward to this one i had heard about it i think on uh necromander is discord because she had got a i think a review copy for Rue Morgue or something and she mentioned it and then and hadn't heard anything for a while and then i heard about the premiere and i I was hoping i would get screenings up here but unfortunately i couldn't but then i had heard at least you know it's Sometimes with the limited releases, you get a limited release, and they say, oh, and a future VOD to be determined. But this one, along with the premiere, they had already said, okay, but it's also getting VODs in May. So at least I knew, okay, if I don't get screenings, I have a target date that I can actually watch it. And with that said, I think that's like coming up this week, too. uh, Derek, you said the 17th?
2: Yeah, I think so. That's what I remember. I think I read that somewhere.
0: Yeah, I mean, in that case, uh, yeah, it, it'll be this week that I can watch it. So um, I am looking forward to it. It seemed like a cool, interesting premise, and yeah. now it has Venom's seal of approval. So that's, that's
2: yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, like I actually saw the trailer for that movie in theaters, and I'm thinking, is it the Goggle Glover? <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember that from Wrestle I-
0: WWE? I, yeah, I vaguely, vaguely remember the that. gobbledygooker. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember the yep. red rooster.
0: I remember that was the worst like surprise in Survivor Series they say in like pay per view history because yeah, the, the promos for that Survivor Series was like, oh, there's an egg and it's gonna hatch at the pay per view and then it finally hatches and it was that and people are like, what the hell is this? Like that <laughs> is not a good surprise. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's like when A. Young gave birth to a
0: hand. No! Oh, God. Oh, man. Um, All right, uh, Derek, back to you. I'll just keep the creature
2: feature uh, goodness coming, because I watched the movie called Caved In Prehistoric Terror, which is an early sci-fi channel movie from 2006. Uh, Stars Christopher Atkins in in Kalmini. I was like, (laughs) Kalmini's in this movie. Uh, yeah, this is uh, about a group of thieves that disguise themselves as extreme adventurers. I want to go down this abandoned mine to look for because uh, there's supposedly like buried treasure hidden inside this mine, of course. So they hire Christopher Atkins to lead them down the mine, disguised as you know, extreme cavers. And uh... uh yeah, Cole Meany is one of the thugs, the main dudes, kind of. <laughs> A bald-headed motherfucker <laughs> but uh yeah they go down here and all of a sudden they find out why no one's found this treasure because this place is guarded by gigantic prehistoric rhinoceros beetles that rip <laughs> and, that rip and tear people apart like I said you get a mixture of early CGI but you get some practical puppetry in there too and some great gore effects I was kind of shocked how gory this movie was like people just getting split in fucking half, fucking guts just flying everywhere. I'm like, holy shit! You know, I kind of appreciate like these early sci-fi channels movies more than I should have watched them when they first aired. That makes sense because you know, uh-huh. they, you know, they you know CGI, CGI, but I was like shocked at some of the practicals of this one. You know, I dug it.
0: Yeah, like, I'm I'm, I'm a little bit out of the loop on it now, but I remember there was that era, and I think it even predates, like, sh- the Sharknado movies where uh, the sci-fi had the working thing with Asylum where it was, like, every week, like, there was, like, a premiere and a new one. I mean, I remember the Abominable Snowman one. I remember, like, the weird snake ones, the shark ones, um, and it just seemed like every week... Yeah, as the credits were rolling on one of them, they'd be advertising for like the next Saturday's premiere of it of the next one, and it was like pretty much rapid fire. <laughs> um, so this definitely sounds like it was in that era because you said 2006. So that sounds about right. For, yeah, for my right.
2: <laughs> yeah, like when Anaconda Three and shit were coming out, or even Anaconda uh-huh. Three has like that fucking great scene that I crack up to. Every time I watch it, where the snake just bites the guy's head off, you can just see his body just standing and the blood squirting out of his head. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh man, yeah. I mean, those there, there's definitely the niche fans for the Asylum movies. As we what talked about one a couple weeks ago on Fresh Cuts. Actually, Damn right. It was the Tubi one, right?
1: Oh Two- uh, yeah, <laughs> Titanic six six six.
0: That's right. Um, um. Okay. Um. Okay. So for my next one, this was a random movie I kind of threw on uh, during work. Uh, this is pretty low budget. I I might even dare to say micro budget. It, it could be considered that. That's called Children of Sin. Has it? Have either of you heard of this? No. All right. I've well, heard the title. I, no,
1: I have not seen.
0: Yeah. So I I just kind of like randomly selected it. Uh, if I if I could uh, uh, sum it up. Uh, in a, shortly you, you guys remember that movie but i'm a cheerleader the comedy yeah, yeah. With natasha leone and i think rupaul was like one of the uh, counselors um there, there, there's actually a lot of like you know a lot uh, about young, this movie. upcoming talent like for that era um uh so i, I would almost describe it instead if if you take that movie, but instead of a comedy, it's almost kind of a horror movie. Uh, you would find this because the setup's kind of similar, in that uh, you know it starts with a girl who gets sent off by like her religious parents to like a, I don't want to say re-education camp, but like how how to become a proper like a proper uh, dignified person camp, I guess, and you know different people are sent there for different re- reasons. I believe in her case, it was because. <sighs> She was trying to be sexually active or or something. I don't remember, but um, kind of a, you know, whatever, for whatever reason, you're sent to that camp to, like, stop being a sinner, you awful sinners. And uh, I guess the twist, it's not really a twist, but, uh, you know, you find out uh, the ones that aren't obedient and aren't going to pass camp, instead of uh, getting kicked out, you just kind of get murdered. So there's that. And I I guess I'll, I'll save, like, the twist I guess you would call it a twist at the end. That uh, not, I, I'm not really recommending the movie necessarily, but I guess because it's a 2022 and there's a chance people see it, that uh, I won't say what happens in the third act. Um, what uh, would I recommend? Is I don't know. I mean, if you if you're into like simple plot, low budget movies, sure. It, it, there's I've seen plenty worse. I guess I could kind of be okay with this one because the plot was sort of interesting and when you start to relate it to other movies that you actually did like and you start giving it the benefit of the doubt so maybe I, I would like it more than other people um, it, it, I would say it, it goes in somewhat familiar directions but um, that could just be because of me and other movies similar that I've seen but uh, you know if you're not adverse to like real real low budget as long as you can follow along with the story okay it's somewhat interesting you know practical effects not that they're like you know a plus (laughs) you know quality but still uh it's good enough so yeah that's children of sin um so back to you venom
1: all right as i mentioned earlier i recently uh was able to put together a top 10 list of my favorite spanish horror uh spanish language horror films um for another podcast that will be released later on and i wanted to pull out a movie that did not make my top 10 since i didn't really get a chance to talk about it during that particular podcast and i did watch it over the last couple of weeks i figured i'd bring it up here because it is a movie that needs to be seen this movie is a as obviously a spanish horror uh, a spanish language horror film uh, the title of the movie is los ojos de ulia And in English, that is Julia's eyes. And this film is from 2010. It is um, kind of a supernatural, kind of a slasher type film. It's basically a woman named Julia. She's slowly going blind. She's losing her eyesight because of a degenerative disease that she has that she also shares with her sister, who has also... Um, Well, who has already gone blind. Her sister has already gone completely blind. And actually, the movie opens with her sister committing suicide, the blind sister. So basically, Julia spends the majority of the movie just kind of trying to unravel the mystery of what happened to her sister and what potentially may be happening to her. That's pretty much all I really want to say about the plot, because there's a couple of cool little plot twists here and there. Uh, The reason this movie, as much as I praise it and love this movie, the reason it doesn't make my top 10 Spanish language horror list is because of its ending. Um, I've always kind of had a problem with this ending, not to say that it's not satisfying. It's just satisfying in a way that, how can I put this into words? You guys know how petty I am. You guys know how I like to see the antagonists get their comeuppance in these types of movies. Now, Our antagonist does kind of get their comeuppance in this one, but it's just in a way that isn't ultra satisfying to someone like me. So I'm just going to leave it at that. It is a great movie. Don't let me deter you from watching it. It's a very good movie. Like I said, to me, it was a 10 out of 10 all the way until the ending, which just left me a little flat. That's all. It's not necessarily unsatisfying so much as I just felt like the ending could have been a little bit better. But yeah, that's Julia's eyes. Um, have either of you guys uh, seen this one? Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, I figured Derek had.
2: What do you think?
0: It sounds interesting yeah. to me.
2: Yeah, I like it. it. It mixes a lot of, like, uh, Yarrow horror shit that I like in it, too. Like, that scene she, where she goes to that bathhouse with all the blind ladies. I'm like, oh, oh, yes. Oh, that's a crazy scene, yeah. Yeah, I'm like, this is out of a Fulci movie right now. Very much, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah I, I it's got enjoy shallow. It anim- it, it, de- it definitely has shallow elements as well. Well, like yeah. there is the mystery of who the killer is, blah blah blah. If there even is a killer per se, yeah, I, yeah, I, I liked it a lot.
2: Yeah, I enjoyed it. What it
1: was, Derek probably knows why I have a little bit of a problem with the ending. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, it's, it, it, and when I say little, I mean very little. Like it's not. Like I, I, it wouldn't deter me from ever watching this movie again. Not at all. It's a great movie. It's a great character arc for Julia. Um, I just wish the ending was a little bit more satisfying. That's all. But still, incredibly watchable, and I highly recommend. Oh yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I so I want to watch it. (laughs) Sounds good to me.
1: (laughs) Yeah, check it out. Yeah. No, it's got yeah, it's got that supernatural that that per- perceived supernatural element. It's got the mystery, you know. Yeah, there's definitely a mystery throughout the film. It is a little bit longer; it's almost two hours, but it doesn't feel it at all.
2: Yeah, it's the so. same uh, lady who's in the orphanage too, who plays Julia and her sister.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: Uh, okay, Derek, how about you? Oh,
2: uh, I'm, I'm keeping speaking of uh, fire starter, uh I watched a movie called Poseidon Rex. Which is from the director of Firestarter, Mark L. Lester. Who also. Uh, let's, talk, let's look at his filmography, because he's actually directed a lot of movies that I enjoyed. Like, uh, he did. Where is it? Oh, yeah. okay, here we go. He did fucking Commando. Nice. He, he did Firestarter. He did Class of 1984. Wow. He, he did Class of 1999. He did Showdown a Little Tokyo. Hell yeah. Nice. And He did Pterodactyl with Coolio. <laughs> <laughs> so Poseidon Rex. The worst part of this movie is the CG and it's kind of a new generic story. It kind of Reminds me of the third Sharktopus movie in the story. Had, did you guys ever see
1: that one? Uh, I don't know mm. if I saw the third one. I mean, Versus yeah. Werewolf? Oh, then definitely no.
2: Yeah, where it had like, this like subplot of like this drug cartel that's chasing after the main dude because he owes them money. And he goes like d- deep-sea diving, trying to find like this missing treasure ship he awakens this prehistoric type of animal known as Poseidon Rex because it's kind of like a T-Rex but it's aquatic. It could actually swim in the ocean. And it just goes around killing everybody. Uh, interesting fact uh, the main actor in this movie Brian Cross was actually a replacement. Uh, Corin Nemec who me and Venom probably know from all his sci-fi channel movies. <laughs> Uh, was actually the original star, and he actually got injured on set of this movie, and that's why they had to replace him midway. But, you know, it's like your typical movie. It's not the best one ever out of these types. But, you know, there were some funny fucking moments because actually there's little baby Poseidon Rexes in the movie, and they're, like, fucking goofy as all because they're all shitty CGI'd and just running around (laughs) like gremlins. (laughs) Uh, it's whatever, you know, like, I'm like, when I saw who directed this, I'm like, what the fuck happened? Jesus. T <laughs> V turned to the Jim Wynorski. I thought this was a Jim Wynorski movie.
0: <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> but, so, yeah, for <laughs> my last, my last one, I'll kind of wrap up with some non-movie stuff, because of course, I was. <laughs> I know, of course, right? Well, one, I'm trying to get back into reading a little more, so I was like, how can I ease myself back in? And I was like, I know, I'll buy a book of short stories and a graphic novel. And wouldn't you know what, I haven't even started the graphic novel yet, but uh, it's called uh, Nice House on the Lake. Have you guys ever heard of that? Probably oh. not. So,
2: Based on my life?
0: <laughs> it's kind of set up like uh, similar to the movie Clue or Identity, where uh, a bunch of a bunch of people who are friends or acquaintances acquaintances of this guy from high school are invited to like uh, some type of party that he's throwing at a nice house on the lake, and it goes from there. And I've heard it it goes to horror uh, pretty quick, so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, it is a graphic novel series, so I have Volume One, which is probably like the first twelve issues, maybe. Um, and then I bought a a book of body horror short stories, and I, I read the first story out of that, where a bunch of people get uh, turned into roaches. So that's uh, nightmare fuel. Just thinking about that, it made me think of the uh, roach death from uh, Dream Master, <laughs> um, and then. Finally, something that's been taking up a lot of my time since Friday is the new Evil Dead game. Have either of you guys got that one yet? No. Damn it, Derek. What about you, Venom? Because you're a gamer. Have you even touched it yet or even I downloaded the
1: game? No. I'm in the middle of Tiny Tina's Wonderlands, which I'm absolutely loving. Um, and I'm and, and it actually has split screen, so Mrs. Venom and myself are able to play together, which is rare nowadays. It seems like split screen or local multiplayer is kind of dying.
0: Tell um, me
1: about this game. What's it? How, what's oh, it about? Tina's, Tina's uh, Tiny Tina's Wonderland is basically a spin off of the Borderlands series. I'm not sure if you've played any of the Borderlands games, uh, there have been three Borderlands games um actually no there've been more cuz there've been side stories and shit too so but uh they're first person shooters kind of set in a, uh on the planet of Pandora which is like you know just kind of a futuristic kind of cyberpunk uh not cyber but kind of steampunky mad max you know a post apocalyptic shit um, you know, it, it's just a really good first person shooter. Um, and then uh, the new one that just came out, Tiny Tina's Wonderlands, is basically there's a character in the Borderlands series called Tiny Tina. She's this little girl who's absolutely insane, and she has this adorable, like Sarah Silverman style voice. Um, so, you know, no one, no one of name does her voice, but, you know, it's kind of that kind of cute, precocious, almost insane style of voice. Uh, so she became really popular in and of herself. And now she has a side game called Tiny Tina's Wonderlands, where it's actually presented like Dungeons and Dragons, where it's Tina and two other characters from the Borderlands series literally playing a tabletop game. Um, but when you're actually in the game, it's a first-person shooter. It's it's back to the original Borderlands style, so it's still so it's very like
0: a Jumanji thing going on. <laughs> so,
1: uh, I guess, yeah. But I mean, it, it, if if you've ever played Dungeons and Dragons or any kind of tabletop role-playing game like that, I think you would like it. It's got a lot of those cool elements in there, and a lot of the comedy is very referential towards you know Dungeons and Dragons. Um, I think they call them bunkers and badasses is the game that they're playing in this video game Uh, that, you know, the Dungeons and Dragons rip off. But uh, yeah, I mean, if you're a Borderlands fan, you're going to love the game. You know, uh, there's literally over a million guns in the game. That's always kind of been like the big advertising, like the big hook for Borderlands is the number of weapons in it. It's literally in the millions. Um, I mean, you're you're, wow. you're picking up new weapons constantly. I mean, you don't have to use them, obviously. You, they all have stats. You can compare which ones are, you know, more accurate, more powerful, blah blah blah. But there's literally over a million games, uh, a million guns in the game. Uh, so so if if you're if you're just into really cool, uh, you know, oddball weapons and first-person shooters, Borderlands is a great game to play. And then, like I said, the new mm-hmm. one is. Tiny Tina's Wonderlands just came out last month and Ooh. I am headlong into that one right now.
2: Yeah. Nice.
1: And then I've got nice. and then I'm I'm probably not going to get to Evil Dead probably till like next year sometime cuz then I got the Lego Skywalker Saga waiting for me. Somebody got it for me for my birthday. It's still wrapped in plastic. That's nine whole games in one, so yeah. that's, that's going to keep me busy for a while. I ordered and that also as well. Um what's that? I'm sorry. I ordered it as well, the Skywalker Star. Yeah. I mean for that for I mean, you know, for for regular price you're getting the equivalent of 9 games. That's pretty cool. Um but um and then after that, I've still got uh what do I still have here? I, I there's another game that I still have wrapped in plastic that I haven't even opened yet. So yeah, Evil Dead is going to be a little bit lower on the queue. Plus from what I see, and I could be wrong, but from what I've seen of Evil Dead, it looks a lot like the Friday the thirteenth game, at least in mechanics. And if that's the case, eh, I'm in no major hurry to play it. I, I liked Friday the thirteenth, don't get me wrong. It's just that that whole, you know, four on one competitive thing, just it gets old to me pretty quick.
0: It's yeah. uh I'll I'll definitely say it's similar, but to me it's it's a better day one game than Friday the Thirteenth was. Um, so I I played Friday the Thirteenth some, enjoyed it for what it was. Mo- these types of games I much prefer to play with like a squad of people I know. Exactly. At least, at least I can I can indirectly know them. Like they don't have to be like my my good real life friends, but just at least people that I know we're gonna like hop on as a squad and like actually try to do missions like together is with, with some type of strategy. Cause I, I just can't stand when it's like four people and they just kind of run off and do their own thing. And then, especially when it's like, you know, one person probably plays 24 seven knows exactly what they're doing. And the rest of the three, they're not really learning anything because he's off figuring things out on his own. It's like, I didn't, I don't feel like I've become any better of a player from this session, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, but the, the, th- the thing about Evil, the Evil Dead game, which really has been taking more of my time, is they did throw some solo offline missions on there. And I think it, it's randomized because the, the movie goes through Evil Dead 1-2 and Army of Darkness. I, I'm not sure if the remake has any part of it like now or if it ever, I'm I'm not absolutely sure, but I know the missions, the solo missions aren't in like chronological order because I'm on the, I'm still working on the first one and it's basically the, it looks like they take, you know, little scenarios from the movie and make missions out of it. So Mm -hmm. the first one, which I'm on is you have to uh, find uh, Linda's head, dig it up <laughs> and then the end of the, the the last part of the mission which i keep getting stuck on is you have to take her severed head to the woodshed which i'm assuming you're going to like you know chain all uh yep. <laughs> but when you when you get to that part you base I, i'm assuming all missions will be like this where at the end of it there's a boss and at the end of this one before you do the final thing henrietta is the boss and <laughs> uh, right before we, were recording, you, we were recording i got to the Closest I got to beating it, and I feel kind of ripped off, but that's how it goes. Is right as I killed Henrietta and she was like falling, I was also dying and <laughs> dead, and it, it counted my death, not hers. And I was so pissed. So probably tonight I'm gonna get right back to it because I will say it's it, it's fun if you, if you like the movies. I mean, they got the atmosphere, the sound design the look down, I, I will say they amped up the difficulty t- pretty tough. And I think they're probably going to mess with that a little. Because what I've noticed in the solo missions so far is it's not that each individual dead-out you come across is like terribly difficult to kill, but because of how much they spawn, I feel like you end up using a lot of like your your power-ups and stuff just to Tackle them, so then when you get to like the tougher bosses or the tougher enemies, and then the boss, it's like you're you're almost fucked because like you don't have a lot of stuff left. But playing through it or attempting to get through this mission, it has made me kind of better with strategy and learning how to conserve stuff. So we'll see once I finally get past this one what the other ones are like. But I I did hear in one of these, I think there's five or six uh when you first get the game. Um, I did hear in one of them you you do fight evil ashes as and enemy or as a boss, so looking forward to that. And if my recommendation would be everyone lean on the the devs to like focus on adding more of those, which I do think they will because there's already like a season pass you can buy. I usually don't buy season passes, but uh, if if I look into it and like they are advertising more solo missions being added, then I would consider. Uh, getting the season pass up front but we'll see but i would say if you have people like if you if you have people you know would play these type of multiplayer games with you get it if not you could probably wait but uh, i'm having a lot of fun with it and nice. uh yeah and on the video game front too they just did release some uh still shots of the texas chainsaw massacre game which i i want to say is going to be another one of those like squad up and Fight games, but I'm not 100 percent sure. But they did look pretty accurate to locations in the first movie. I
2: just so, wanted like, yeah. a game of Leatherface cooking barbecue.
0: Ah! <laughs> like he's re- he's just running the barbecue now. <laughs> yeah. Leatherface's barbecue.
1: Leatherface's barbecue um, simulator.
0: Um, yeah. <laughs> did you uh, the dead the Dead Space remakes? They said January 2023.
1: I've never stopped playing Dead Space, so <laughs> I literally I love all three games. I play them every few months. I I I literally have never stopped playing it, so I don't even know if I'm going to bother with the remake, but we'll see. If I got well, a like, bucks, just
0: give us a new one, like if it's going to be that far out, like just make a new Dead Space game for new for the new gen consoles. You know.
1: Yeah, the third one did so poorly. Like it, it, sales just tanked for the third one. Was it not um, good? It was it was still good. It just wasn't nearly as good as the first two. The first two were absolute classics. But the third one, because the third one, there's like a lot of outside stuff and it's like a snowy environment. So it's like in the middle of a snowstorm. It just doesn't really feel like a dead space game because you're not inside of a spaceship the whole time. You know, um, so they tried to add some new stuff to it. They they upgraded the crafting but they made it to the point where, like, half the game now is just um, grinding to try to get stuff that you can craft with, materials. And mm-hmm. it just got, it, it, I don't know. Like, I finished it, but I only finished it by powering through all the crafting, because I hated it. I'm I'm not the biggest fan of crafting in video games. I'm not really an RPG player. Um, not to say that Dead Space was ever an RPG, but they definitely added RPG elements to the third mm-hmm. one. So... So yeah, I, I, don't yeah. See, I don't see a fourth one ever coming out unless unless they rehaul the entire thing um, and get like a whole new like you know uh, creative team on it. Then maybe, but I don't know. I, I just don't know that there's a market for a Dead Space Four right now. Hmm.
0: Yeah, it's always kind of been a peeve with crafting in video games for me. It's like I'm not opposed to crafting itself, but I wish, and it, it could just be. The technical, uh, you know, technical limitations on how smart the AI can be about it. But I always hated the fact that it's like you. It's it's not just a matter of pick up items and make it any type of damn weapon you want. It's like no, there's like actual crafting, like uh, like uh, uh what the hell word am I thinking? almost like directions or like a pre-selected like oh you can make this type of weapon and you got to go find the specific things it's like no i i want a game where like oh i picked up a bat i picked up nails you can just make a nail bat or something like that you know like make it that free fall what
1: What, what was that zombie game god damn it i can't think of it now um new
0: the first one was in a mall Dead Rising?
1: Dead Rising, thank Dead you. Dead Rising, okay. That's the game. If you're into that kind of crafting, where you can just grab one or two things and put them together randomly, Dead Rising is the series for you. And Dead Rising 3 was my always my favorite. I love Dead Rising 3. It, it, I mean, it's kind of an old game now, so I'm not sure how much, you know, how compelling it would be to, to a newer gamer, but I, I loved it. That, it's, and plus, I mean, it, it's zombies, for fuck's sake, so... I'm, yeah, I'm and, you, and you could. Have you not played those games at all? The Dead Rising. I Rise played games? the
0: first one way back in that because that's like you start as like some type of heli- You're in line helicopter, right? In the first one, that yeah, you, you land on the mall or something. Helicopter.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Dropped off at the mall to investigate what's going on with the virus. Blah blah blah. Yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. the greatest movie you ever made.
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> 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 I don't know about that. <laughs> I, yeah, and I mean, I
0: I could see like they could still put um uh you know, templates in there for like super weapons or whatever, like yep. and say, oh, if you if you follow the template it'll make the weapon like that much better. But I'm like, I still want the ability where like, oh you got tape, you got barbed wire, you got a bat, okay, you can make whatever the hell you want with these three items. Um it'd yep. just be cool. Yeah. But I guess that's our video game segment for this episode. <laughs> hell
2: and all I learned from it is that we're gonna mention Jumanji later too.
3: Yep.
0: <laughs> In the jungle, you must stay. I oh, no. tell you what, roll a five or eight or something. <laughs> That's <what it> says. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
3: uh,
0: all right. Well, I guess we can go on the news now. Um, one bit of news I did have was Freddy's Nightmares is now on Tubi. Didn't uh, didn't it go on a different streaming service a little bit ago? Was it uh, the Screen, box. screen box or whatever? Screen box, yeah. Yeah, so I don't know if like they had a short term license or it just has an additional home on Tubi now. But I have heard that they're somewhat—I don't know if they're HD, but they are like better than probably like the original VHS rips that oh, were by or, far, yeah. around. I haven't checked it out yet, just because I haven't had a reason to. Um, but if <laughs> I do do Burning for Springwood, it is a nice thing to now have like a safe home with somewhat better looking copies, I guess, like a go-to place. Yeah. Um so I don't know if you guys will ever be checking them out but they're there for people that are interested and I would oh. say the pi- if anything the pilot episode is worth seeing yeah, if yeah. you're not going to watch like most of them the pilot episode is that kind of cool prequel of like Fred Krueger before he became Freddy so I would cool. I, I would recommend that one at least it it's kind of like uh, the movie that they should have made 20 years ago but never did almost yeah
1: it's what Freddy's Dead should have been
0: Coulda, <laughs> yeah, coulda, woulda, shoulda.
1: Yeah. Um, all day. right.
0: In other news, <laughs> uh, I already Robert mentioned Lewis? Dead Space, Thing, so I'm writing that yep. off. Uh, there's a. Have you heard the rumor that Monsters might be getting sold off to
1: Netflix? <laughs> and are you surprised by that rumor? Because I am not. No, no, not um, at all. I'm not surprised at all. I mean, it's a series that's what, like, over fifty years old now. Well, maybe not over fifty, right around it. I mean, it's fuck. The the in, I mean, is there really interest for a monsters movie? I mean, there's always going to be monsters fans. There's always going to be yeah. the gothic kids, you know, who like that kind of dark content. Blah blah blah. Even though it's funny, you know, it's it, 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 it's a it's a nice buffer to get into horror for younger audiences. So stuff like that. Yeah, yeah family there's going to the be
0: months. a combination of those people and the we like Rob Zombie, so we'll see whatever he does type. You
1: know, exactly. And, and that's just not enough people to, to justify putting in the theater. I mean, because if it's not going to be at least top five opening weekend, why even bother releasing it? That's how the studios look at it.
0: Yeah, a- and since it's Universal that owns it, they're probably looking at that, too, like, mm-hmm. is this even worth it? And if not, we'll just sell it and make what money we can off of it.
3: I yeah. thought it was
2: supposed to be a Peacock
0: exclusive.
2: Was it Peacock? For Monsters?
0: Yeah, because Universal's Peacock. Right, right. Yeah, but-, but I thought they were still planning on putting it in the theater initially.
1: Initially, so, absolutely. Yeah. That was always the plan. That's what I had heard. The Netflix thing actually took me by surprise.
0: But that's the so other thing with Peacock too, because if they don't think it would generate enough like subs, because I'm assuming,
1: yeah, I Peacock's don't know, I, very, looked,
0: uh, Universal yeah, will make Peacock, more money
1: yeah. if they sell it to Netflix than if they just put it out on Peacock. They, they'll definitely make more money. I mean, fucking Netflix paid fifty million for that fucking Cloverfield movie that nope that we all watched once. You know, <laughs> I mean, they, they literally paid it was either 40 or 50 million that they paid for that movie. So, I mean, if they're Dude, willing I, to pay I, that uh, much,
0: it sounds like the Firestarter remake is going to make people cancel Peacock subscriptions. Instead oh, it.
1: I have Peacock, but I have it for Saturday Night Live. I, I'm, I'm a gigantic Saturday Night Live fan and all 47 seasons or 48 seasons at this point are on Peacock. So it makes me happy.
2: They got all those old what? WrestleManias on there too. That's why.
1: Yeah, I that's right. <laughs> all, yeah, the, I, uh, I, all the old peanuts, all the the Snoopy and Charlie Brown shows are all on Peacock. Yeah, I mean they, they 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 may not have the ultra popular shit, but they they got enough that it makes it worth the money. At least for somebody like me, if you're nostalgic, okay. it's worth. It.
0: Yeah, I just have the free Peacock, but. Uh, <laughs> I I do like Saturday Night Live, I, but I just watch it usually when it comes out. But I should—that would be a possible reason because I wouldn't mind having access to all the archives.
1: Oh, it's so great! All the specials, all the Christmas specials, all the Halloween specials. Oh, it's awesome! Oh,
0: yeah, all I W shit, it's
1: fucking good. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's only five bucks. I, I mean, that's the thing. Is like you know, a lot of the streaming services are only five bucks, but then when you get twelve of them, <laughs> suddenly. You're spending sixty, seventy bucks on streaming services. Like fuck, I might as well have cable. Yeah,
0: yeah it makes you want. It makes you want to wait for like bundles because it's like you know every so often it's like oh if you get these two or three together then it's like only really says subbing to like one and a half or two for, for the price. Sure. What um, was I gonna? I thought I was gonna say something else about Peacock. Yeah, I, I,
2: I love it because not. I usually just trade my like I'll trade my Disney Plus for my. Uh, my sister's Paramount Plus.
1: Nice, Paramount. <laughs> oh Plus yeah, is another good one. I love Paramount. Twin Peaks. Yeah. We yeah, almost like small the Nickelodeon stuff. Uh,
0: that's the thing about like, and supposedly Netflix is about to start cracking down on password sharing. Which I'm interested in how it's going to work because uh, if if you're supposed to get a certain amount of logins per account. Then, how much are they going to argue with you if you say, "Oh, well, I have a second residence," like, and that's where it's because in my parents' case, stupid, that is you know? actually true. I mean, they do have a second residence that uh, they have logged into. So it's like, well, how are you just going to say they can't be logged? Yeah, what into? if you
2: log in like if you're on vacation? You know, like what the fucking that's fucking stupid
1: yeah I mean, be that's why to they see give you like what that's they why say. they give you five accounts is so you can use them in different locations like I, I don't think they were thinking about people actually sharing accounts when they came up with that the five screens at once because that's something that direct tv does too where we allow you know up to four screens to stream on one cable box at a time so it's just kind of a licensing thing but uh
0: i don't well, know yeah because yeah and i used to uh so for some reason, I got NFL ticket for free like the last two years. I, I don't – I mean I, I know what their explanation is, but I am I was like glad to take it. But oh, what yeah. I would do – but back before then when I was still paying, um, I would basically like just split the cost with my friend and give him my credentials to log in online. And then I would watch on TV and he would just log in on his computer. So yeah. um, it, it was a way just to kind of half the cost because fucking it's expensive now, you know? Uh-huh. Um but the la- I, I'm hoping I get that same email this year because last year I went to go pay for it. And they're like, sir, we already have you down for it. I'm like, well, that's great, but I don't want it on my bill, so can I just pay for it up front? Oh, no, there's no cost. So I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? But, And I, I kept wanting them to double check because I was like, look, I'm cool with this, but if kickoff starts week one and that shit's blocked, I'm going to be pissed. <laughs> and they're like, no, it'll be there. I was like, okay. And it was. But, uh, it was there. Yeah. <laughs> um, what else do I got? Uh, John Woo's remaking the killer for Peacock. Speaking of Peacock, wow, I, I, I've never talked about Peacock this much, and now uh, <laughs> we're still going. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's like John Peacock Wu's remaking his own, his own movie, movie. yeah, and, it, and it's an English language version. Who will be the English Chow yun Fat in 2020?
1: I don't know. <laughs> Nick Cage, interesting.
0: Clive Owen.
2: Well, he did Nick do that Cage. Bangkok Dangerous remake.
1: Oh yeah, yeah that's Rangers. true.
2: He did. Yeah.
0: Uh, <laughs> Zach Efron. Yeah, like Christian Slater. No.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Jesus! How old is the killer? <laughs> Fuck!
3: <laughs>
2: Why don't you throw Jack
1: Nicholson in there for fuck's sake? <laughs>
0: I want to watch the retired killer. Later now, Danny Glover is too old (laughs) for the shit. I'm too old to be the killer. (laughs) 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 Well, it's it's just weird because it's like he's remaking it, but I'm like, well, okay, you're. It says you're remaking it in English language version, so I'm like, well, does how much are you remaking it as opposed to I'm just making it? I
3: mean,
0: we've had a couple same story, same twist, and all that, or what?
1: We've got a couple of examples of directors doing the their own remake. Um, Funny Games, uh, that director did both the original and the American. What else? That's uh, there true. was uh, the did The Ring. Did, no. Did, he, okay. Grudge. Grudge. The Grudge. That's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah. Yeah. See, I mean, there are examples of there uh, out there of people like doing American remakes of their own movie with the same director, but. I don't know. I, you know it, it, it's kind of uh varying degrees of returns. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's just pointless. Like with funny games, I don't even watch the American, like why bother? The yeah. the original was so good and so much more bleak. I, like what's the point?
0: <laughs> yeah, and I mean don't get me wrong, I would love for something of the caliber of The Killer to come out.
1: Oh sure, in
0: 2023 yeah. cuz The Killer is fucking yeah. amazing. Oh. But, uh, so that's, it, it, I mean, it's, it's for 2023 people. So you got a whole year to watch the, uh, original one before just to see what it is they're remaking. If you haven't seen it, yeah um, cause that, that was like my, I think besides like, uh, martial arts movies, that kind of era was my first kind of dipping the toe in Asian cinema. It was like the John Woo, Ringo Lam
1: era yeah. and all the crazy Johnny shit Co. coming
0: out during then. Uh huh yeah man there's a lot of cool stuff from that like late 80s early 90s Hong Kong action movies alright um yeah <laughs> what the hell uh there's a Daryl and Carol spinoff for The Walking Dead except Melissa McBride is not going to be in it anymore so now it's just a Daryl spinoff <laughs> uh, that's our Daryl Walking Dead update Daryl and Friends <laughs> Yeah, I, I guess they're writing the whole character out because uh, I guess it's going to be filming in Europe and Melissa McBride was like, that doesn't work for me for whatever reason. So if that's even the real reason that she bowed out, who knows? You never know What's these the, days. She
2: might have got canceled for all we know.
0: Felissa <laughs> Ph- Rose is presenting an award right now on the Chainsaw Awards for your that's, update. That's,
2: that's breaking that's breakin
0: news. It it is breaking news. I like how the audience is all dressed up as monsters. I mean, (laughs) obviously, it's a canned audience, obviously, but still. Uh, It was for best kill, and the bread slicer from Fear Street Part 1 won it. Good kill. Yeah,
2: it's
1: a great (laughs) kill. I'm okay with it. Uh, We raved about it when we reviewed the movies, so
2: yeah. What What was the other kills nominated
0: I didn't even see the nominees. I wasn't paying attention until I I saw her opening the envelope. Um, (laughs) Sorry. Uh, I think I'm all out of freaking news. Do you guys have any news items by chance?
1: Uh, Other than the original Friday the 13th getting a 4K release later this year, which is kind of news. It's big news for somebody like me. All the Friday fans out there, we're finally getting our first taste of 4K Friday, so that ought to be fun.
0: Now, okay, so question, are you going to jump on that right away or kind of hang back nope. to see if they make a box set or what?
1: Oh, no, I, I've got my box set. Even if they were to put out a 4K box set, I am not buying it. Um, I, I'm going to hold out for a little bit, uh, see how much the price drops, like after, you know, six months, a year, Um Because honestly, I I love my Friday movies, and I love the way they looked when I saw them in the 80s. You know, I've seen every Friday movie opening weekend in the theater, and I love, you know, the filled grain, the cracks, you know, all the imperfections that we see. It kind of adds to the character of the movie, so... When it comes to 4K, I, I, I don't automatically want to see everything in 4K. And, and like, you know, there's certain movies, like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I don't want to see that in 4K. Part of what makes that movie so great is how gritty and dirty the movie is. If you give me a crystal clear 4K image of that movie, I may not like it as much. Yeah, it'll look nice. It'll look better than it's ever looked, but it might actually take a little bit away from it for me. So, Yeah. When it comes to certain movies, I don't need the 4Ks, you know? Uh, And this is one that I don't need. I'm I'm happy it's getting released. I will eventually buy it someday, but just way down the line when it gets cheaper.
0: So are you saying, like, 4K releases of these older movies need a VHS filter option (laughs) on the menu?
1: (laughs) Some people would probably love that, actually. Not me, but some people. Well,
0: it's kind of like with some of these games... um, like the old collection of like Castlevania or Contra that I bought, and it's like, oh, you can put this, you can put the filter on to make it actually look like the Nintendo version, where if too many enemies are on screen, shit gets all frantic with the frame rate and the slowdown. Like you can turn that filter back on.
2: Did you guys ever see the movie Fender Bender from a few years ago? Uh, nope. The slasher.
0: Uh-huh.
2: No. Really? No.
0: Wow. Any it's, good?
2: It's pretty good. Actually, one of the special features on the Blu ray is you could actually watch it like that.
1: Like a video game? Oh,
2: oh. No, like a video. Like, you, like a VHS.
1: <laughs> oh, like VHS. Gotcha, gotcha. That's awesome.
2: Yeah.
3: That's cool.
1: Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah,
0: I mean, it's kind of just like, you know, another, I mean, obviously there would probably be more work to it, but, you know, how they did the mist where you can do, like, the black and white version and stuff. Yeah,
3: that was awesome.
2: Not
0: exactly the same tech going into that, but still, I mean, it's a cool option.
2: Yeah, I like that. You're a cool option, Michael. Oh,
0: well, well, thank wow, you. Wow, take that's, the compliment. That's the wow. rare compliment from Derek. <laughs> Uh, all oh, right. Fuck you. Uh, yes. Yeah. There. Uh, there we. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, are we all out of the news, guys?
2: Uh, yeah. yeah. Pretty much. I I did want to shout out a indie go-go, if That's fine with you guys before we move on. Yeah. Uh, I got a director friend that I actually, one of my favorite like indie directors, who directs a lot of low budget shit, but I enjoy shit sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and that's uh Phil Herman, he has a new film coming out called Doomsday Stories. Uh yeah. the has got fifteen days left. Uh Phil Herman, of course, he directed movies like Burgle or From Hell, Jacker and Jacker Two. Which hmm. Jacker Jacker is kind of like a it's a Sean video movie about a guy who jacks cars. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The Jacker. Yeah, and you know, Burglar from Hell's about a burglar that comes back from hell.
0: Is his name Mick Jacker?
3: No! <laughs>
0: no. These <laughs> he came out All maybe. I, he, the guy see, in the cup Earlier mix. you were talking about me getting canceled. That for jokes like that, it'll happen for sure. <laughs> uh,
2: the indie world will cancel Mike Merriman. <laughs> yep.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah. But yeah, check it out. I'll leave the link for Mike to put in the show notes. Uh, yeah, 15 days left. You know. Yeah, if you like indie horror, check out Phil's stuff. We actually, burgle from Hell actually just got a Blu-ray release from Vinegar Syndrome, which is nuts that they're doing shot-on-videos on videos on Blu-ray. Nice. <laughs> which is nuts. Yeah. That's
1: crazy, you know? actually.
2: <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah, check it out. And, yeah, that's all I got to shout out. Post, I the, them.
1: post the link in our uh, Facebook uh, group, too. Yeah, I will. Awesome.
0: Sweet. Speaking of shout outs, have either of you guys done uh, uh, Don's new show yet? The top 10? Yeah. Which What was the subject on yours?
1: Really? Do I have to repeat myself? Top 10 Spanish language horror. I I just spent like 10 minutes talking about that earlier.
0: Yeah, no, I was being, I was making a joke. (laughs) Okay, okay. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah, my I monotone mean, it, it delivery. Been... My monotone delivery never reveals that intention. Before. No,
1: no, you are a master of sarcasm because you sound mundane in everything you <laughs> say. So
0: yeah, exactly. Uh,
1: uh, no, no, um, my episode is supposed to be coming out in June, early June, sometime. So does he usually? Uh, uh,
0: get with like the potential guests and you guys come up with what you want to do or does he let yes. you or how does that Yeah
2: yeah you? he makes us come up with it. He tell you well he gives you like a list of what's been done already okay. so you don't run into like the
0: same idea. Yeah. Yeah that makes sense. I yeah. I was curious if like he tries to do it where like he knows the person pretty well so he'll come up with it. But that's cool that he kinda lets the guest uh, pick something.
2: Yeah he's a good guy called cuts who ahead
3: <laughs>
0: uh, all right. Well, I guess with that said, we are gonna get into our next segment. It's the return of the burning questions segment. It's something that uh, I don't know if I've really spoken about it on the show. I know we talked about it in our you know chat prep thread. Is we we've been discussing for some time now. How to handle the burning question segment when we don't exactly have a a specific burning question? Obviously, for long-time listeners, sometimes we just skip it all together. Uh, That's done for a multitude of reasons. Sometimes it's just we run out of time to prep because of – the show moving around uh, from the original schedule date, so it kind of puts us behind the eight ball. Like, oh my god, we got we don't have anything for that segment. But we've we've have been discussing like alternates uh, or alternate things to do during um, that uh, segment, just to continue with the segment itself, so, and also because uh, just talking horror will naturally bring up. Uh, like, I, I don't even want to say argument so much, but just discussion, like deeper discussion. Fuck, we topics. did a burning
2: question on fucking TCM fucking four weeks ago. True. Or show hours it, ago. It's true. Yeah. <laughs>
0: the
2: beginning of the just, fucking uh, episode.
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, this might be like the first actual official time where it's a burning mm-hmm. question segment that isn't anchored by a specific question. Um, but what we are going to do is. A list, and uh, lists were something we discussed before. Just never got around it's to doing the tank one. Crack
2: Commandments,
0: <laughs> yeah. And since uh, you know Venom went out and got this one and kind of suggested, I'm going to let him kind of go through it and uh, explain it. So, uh, uh, Venom, um, go ahead, man. Uh, tell us what you got for this list.
1: Okay, so as everyone knows, this past Friday was, of course, Friday the 13th. Uh, Mike brought it up earlier, you know, talking about what movies we watched. And obviously, with a new Friday the 13th, there's always going to be horror content put out on YouTube. Um, Top 10 lists, you know, discussions, breakdowns behind the scenes, things like that. And one of the videos that was released was released by a YouTube channel called Watch Mojo. Uh, a lot of you are probably familiar with Watch Mojo. They probably are one of the most popular YouTube channels for top 10 lists. I believe they are out of Canada. Um, and I only base that on the accents of the hosts of the show. They they kind of sound Canadian <laughs> to me. So, um, But anyway, uh, on this past Friday the 13th, they released a list called... Top 10 movie villain kill counts. Um and, and that's something that we've kind of talked about maybe not on this show, but in the community. We've talked about that over the years. You know, who's the most prolific movie killer? Um, You know, who has the highest kill count, um, you know, the most victims, you know, glorious kills, just, you know, different variables around that. And when I watched this list this week, um, it is currently available on YouTube. I I believe the exact title is Top Ten Movie Villain Kill Counts. Um, So you can check that out. I believe Jason Voorhees is the thumbnail image on that. Uh, So I wanted to go over that list. And kind of talk about why I don't agree with it and why I, I wanted to get some input from my co-host. And then when this is all said and done, I want some of you listeners to chime in as well. Hit us up on Facebook or Twitter um, and just tell us, like, what do you think of this list? Do you think Watch Mojo got it right? Um, and if you don't think they got it right, what do you think they got wrong? So. The first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to go over the actual numbers. I'm going to go through the top 10 um, just real quick. I'm just going to string them right through, and then we'll st- we'll break down the list a little bit and talk about what we agree with and what we don't. Um, there are multiple surprising entries in here, and I think number one may actually surprise a lot of people um, because it surprised me because I wasn't even thinking about that one scene that they were talking about. But here we go. At number 10 we have the Leprechaun, our <laughs> friend the Leprechaun with uh 50 kills. 50, just over 50 kills. We um WatchMojo doesn't always give us the exact number. If the exact number is available, they'll give it to us, but if it's not, they'll kind of give us a, a a range of what they've done. So yeah, Leprechaun is at just over 50. Number 9, this was a surprising one, Angela from the Sleepaway Camp <laughs> franchise. Now, if you've only seen the original Sleepaway Camp, then you're probably wondering what the hell she's doing on this list. But if you've seen Sleepaway Camp 2 and 3, you know why she's on this list, because she goes on an absolute rampage through those two movies. Of course, you know, uh, the actress was replaced. Uh, Felicia Rose played her in the original. Um, A different actress played her in Part 2 and 3. But, yeah, she also has a 50-plus kill count. Um, Don't know the exact number there, but... Apparently WatchMojo thought it was just over what Leprechaun had done. At number eight, we have Victor Crowley from the Hatchet series with 56 total kills. Um, and, hell, if you want to go with movie uh, horror movie actor, you could probably throw Kane Hodder as number one, since he's done Jason and Victor Crowley, along with a, a slew of other horror movie antagonists as well. But that's a discussion for another show. So that, like I said, number eight, Victor Crowley with 56. Number seven, this is the first one that I'm going to disagree with vehemently. Number seven is Jigsaw with mm-hmm. 60 with 60 plus kills. Um, Anybody who's seen the Jigsaw movies knows that John Kramer, the man who plays Jigsaw, doesn't actually kill anyone in this in these films. Yes, he is the catalyst for their death. Yes, he is still a murderer because, you know, he's putting these people in these traps. But the point is, he gives all of his victims options to get out of their traps obviously they're going to have to disfigure themselves they're going to have to lose a piece of themselves or they're going to have to admit something that they don't want to admit whatever the case may be but the point is with sacrifice comes salvation that's that's jigsaw's way on top of the fact that jigsaw himself john kramer as a character is only responsible for about 30 of these kills Um, don't forget we have the disciples of jigsaw throughout this franchise you know uh, amanda um uh what's his face from the original? Corey Elway's character from the original. He comes back. Uh the yeah. detective comes oh. back as a disciple. Like like everybody who survives Jigsaw comes Everybody's back a as a disciple. Yeah, they they pretty much come back as a disciple. So for me to give Jigsaw the credit for those kills, I I I'm not saying that I'm 100 percent against it. But there are issues I have with it. We'll we'll get more in depth with that here in a little bit. At at number six, we've got Freddy Krueger with 62 kills. The thing with Freddy Krueger, which we'll discuss more in depth in a little bit, is that of those 62 kills, 20 of those kills were from when Freddy Krueger was still a human. Those were his original serial killer kills. Oh. We don't see any of those on film, so that'll be another discussion here that we'll have in a little bit. At number five, we've got Chucky um, the, uh, with 80, 80 total kills. Now, what's my problem with this one? The exact same problem that we have with Freddy. Um, they actually credit Charles Lee Ray's 30 kills as a serial killer in Chucky's numbers. So, again, something to think about as we go into that discussion. At number four, we have the Invisible Man with 100 plus kills. Now, a lot of people may be surprised by that one, but if you are familiar with the original film, the Universal classic, The Invisible Man, you will remember that he derails a train in that movie, killing over a hundred people, and then he kills about four to six more people, you know, single-handedly throughout the rest of the movie. So. Should he get the credit for those 100-plus kills because he does technically derail that train? That's one of the conversations we'll be getting into here in a little bit. And then at number three, which really, really upsets me because he was at number one for so long, but at number three, it's my boy Jason Voorhees with 160 kills in his 12 total movies. At number two, um, with literally one extra kill. But that number is going to go up because, of course, number two is Michael Myers, who is currently sitting at 161 kills. But as we all know, he's getting one more movie later this year with Halloween ends. That could add another dozen or more uh, kills to that number. So, you know, we'll see Michael's numbers rising before the end of the year. And then at number one. The biggest surprise mm. to me, number one is Pinhead, the Hell Priest from the Hellraiser series. Yes, the man that we all affectionately know as Pinhead. He is credited with over 250 kills throughout that franchise, but literally over 200 of them come from one scene in hellraiser three hell on earth so that'll be another part of our discussion but yeah gentlemen we got a lot to crack here um i guess ultimately i think the first and the ultimate burning question is what do we count as an official movie kill Does it have to be on screen? Does it have to be implied? Does it... Should I say, can it be implied? Can an implied kill count towards your kill count? Um, How about kills that don't actually happen during the course of the film? Like if a movie... If someone kills someone... Um, but you know, and we don't see it, but it's understood that they killed that person. Does that count as as uh, official movie kill count so i'm I'm gonna say, Derek, why don't you come in here and give me your opinions on official movie kill counts? I think they should be
2: officially on screen or say if it's a off screen kill a show like the aftermath of it okay. I think that's how you would count it. if it's kills that we you talk about the we don't even fucking see that we shouldn't count at all.
1: So and, you're in the camp that Freddy's 20 human kills and Chucky's 30 human kills should not be counted.
3: Right? No. Okay. No. no
1: and you I, I'm in that same camp,
2: yeah. Yeah, and it's like, this This is weird to me, because like, do they even know, that, like, these franchises? Do they know that the Leprechaun's a different Leprechaun in each one of the sequels? <laughs> it's not the same one, and, you know, they're like, Legitly called the first... Well, this is weird. I didn't even know the Leprechaun had a fucking name until this list came up.
3: <laughs>
2: you know, but yeah. it's fucking weird because, you know, only Leprechaun 1 and Returns are direct sequels. Yeah, It's a different Leprechaun in each other movie.
1: But then it's like the slippery slope with that would be the example of Friday the 13th Part 5. Where it's not Jason Voorhees. Are they counting those kills too? Like yes, you know what I mean? They do count those kills in Jason's total numbers. I, I I don't know that I would or wouldn't. I mean, yeah, it's Roy, but still he was under the guise of Jason. <coughs> it's not like he was pretending to be someone else. He was still pretending to be Jason. And technically it is an official paramount Friday the thirteenth film. So, like, yeah. if, if somebody were to argue that they shouldn't be counted, I wouldn't really make a big argument against yeah, it. Yeah, but that would
2: be, like, the same thing as counting Jigsaw's self-skills, yes. too, you know? Exactly. Like,
1: this is what I mean. This is what I mean about the slippery slope of this whole thing. It's like, where do we give these people credit? Uh, You know, where can we say, okay, that's another kill for their official numbers? Mike, why don't you come in here and uh, give us your, your two cents on this?
0: I mean, I think definitely in the Friday Five discussion i would count him under the banner or the the jason umbrella because he he's basically doing everything possible to make it seem like it's jason doing it everybody thinks it's you know well i guess once they convince people that jason's back because there's always (laughs) by that time in the franchise there's always like the initial no jason's dead what are you talking about idiot but (laughs) then like turns out i don't know he's actually alive again but uh I would count those, uh, but generally speaking, I would say if if the kill itself isn't on screen, the villain or protagonist has to there either has to be dialogue or some type of actions being like directly taken to show that they were the cause of the death. Um, so, like you know, Invisible Man derailing a train. I, I guess if. I can't remember if they like if there was something in the movie that reported the exact amount of deaths, and that's where they cut the figures from.
1: They just said been, over a hundred in the movie, just over a hundred. Uh,
0: I mean, I guess I'd be okay with it if if, if he actually derailed it.
2: Yeah, but they don't um, count the Jason space station either, which
1: that's is what I mean. the Same thing. This this list is inconsistent, right? Because if you count the Lazarus space station from Jason X. You, we have to assume there were thousands of people on that on that space station. Now, granted, yeah, that's true. it's not like Jason purposely ran the spaceship into the space station. You know, it's not like right. the invisible man where his hand literally derailed that train. This one is more kind of a, a happy coincidence, I guess. But it's like, where do you draw the line? Like, why are we counting one, but we're not counting the space station? You know what I mean? It's a very weird list. You know, this is kind of why I wanted to dissect this thing on the burning question because I, <laughs> this burning question creates more questions, which is so
2: frustrating. Yeah, even of- like the Freddy one, because they're kind of saying in the, you know, some of the kills are from New Nightmare, and it's not even really Freddy Cougar. It's an entity pretending to be Freddy in that movie.
1: Exactly, Yeah. So, it even get to
2: that fucking mindfuck of a question?
1: That, that's what I mean. This whole list is so weird when it comes to their justification. Like, they defended their, you know, with, with each selection in the video, um, which is currently available on YouTube, um, you know, they defend their stance. They They say why they did this, why they did that. But it's like the inconsistency throughout is just really weird. Like, you know, the fact that we count that scene in Hellraiser 3 as 200 plus kills for Pinhead, even though we don't see 200 bodies. We yeah. see a bunch of bodies because we do see the scene where all the bodies are all like posed and you know just basically piled up in the club at, during the aftermath. But I mean, there's not 200 bodies there. They're only going by the the numbers of the people that were at the club before the massacre started. So they're basically assuming that nobody got out alive and that Pinhead took everybody out, which is quite conceivable. You know, yeah, it was it was a great arguing. way concert too soon. Ha! Oh no! <laughs> God damn it. Um, um, so yeah, uh, like I said, it's just really, I feel like this list was kind of inconsistent. I was actually going to write a comment on the video, but yeah, that would be a smart idea to start an argument in a YouTube comment section. So I decided to just bring it here where people can't yell at me other than the two people that I'm here with. So I'm I'm glad that Victor Crowley's on this list though. No, oh, I yeah, very much so, and those are all earned i mean he he's one of the only ones that's not under any kind of scrutiny right now. I guess Michael's not really under any scrutiny either because they don't include the kills from Halloween three, thankfully um obviously yeah, I mean it's not make, a that big makes movie. sense that, that I mean that makes a hundred percent unless sense, they
2: count
0: the right. one on t v when they're watching it on t v
1: <laughs> exactly, yeah, and then well, his h
0: two o kind of follow falls into that too, because of what happened in the next one, right? Where they're like, oh, it wasn't really Michael.
1: Oh, yeah, that whole stupid shit. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, it's very (laughs)
0: stupid, but for Uh, canon purposes, I guess.
1: (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, like like I said, Leprechaun, you know, Derek brought up an issue with Leprechaun. Angela, I haven't seen every Sleepaway Camp movie. I've definitely seen the first two. Um, But as this is a slasher with no supernatural elements, I tend to believe the 50 plus number that they give us. Uh, I, I did see part two and Angela does go crazy in part two. And I've Poor heard she goes, party. yeah, exactly. And she I guess,
0: guess for, I guess for Jason goes to hell, they count anyone who happened to have consumed the Jason heart. <laughs> <as> <laughs> I, I as Jason.
1: They, have, they technically do die <laughs> by the hands of Jason. Yeah. If not yeah. the hands, the slug of Jason, if you will, I guess. I don't Worm. know. So, yeah, exactly. So, um, so, yeah, Victor Crowley at number eight is like one of the ones that I have no issues with. Jigsaw at number seven with 60 plus. I, I just can't agree with it. Um, yeah. I mean, it's yeah, not about. Jigsaw wants like a little, it feels
0: a little loose in what it, what very, they consider yeah. Jigsaw I mean, to have killed.
1: Like, it's if technically it, like six, it, or seven different people that have actually built traps in that franchise.
2: <laughs> if anything, it should and, be the disciples of Jigsaw.
1: That's what I would go with. I would go with Jigsaw plus Disciples. And then okay. You know, we can go with that. Because I mean, cause, I mean we're all, look at the new movie too. I mean, did they include... Because Jigsaw's not even in Spiral. So do do yeah, they, they count they gotcha? those kills? I, I'm not sure actually. They in count Kermit the, list, of they the Frog?
0: <laughs> I don't know. How, how old is the list? Do you know? Or the video?
1: Just came came that out. No, they just released the it. Ones crazy, ones. Yeah. Brand new. Brand new. Oh, okay. So you grabbed it right when it got released. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, Friday the Thirteenth. Watch Mojo always releases some kind of horror theme top ten list. They actually released a few this year. They released three, but this is the one that pissed me off the most. So we had to talk about this. One. <laughs> um, yeah, Freddy at number six with sixty-two. Technically, his number is actually only thirty-two movie kills with thirty additional, you know, little girls that he killed, including his wife. Right? He killed his wife, didn't he?
2: Yes, I think so.
1: Yeah. Am I am I remembering that correctly? I've only seen that one once. That it's a fever dream. That movie. Yeah, exactly. So, but oh, his, so, I mean, his wife yeah, he, he killed because she found at, out.
3: She
2: found out his
1: 80, secret. Right, she found out his secret, man, and he basically took care of her. Yeah, yeah. Um, Chucky at number five,
0: eighty.
1: <laughs> oh, stop quoting bad movies, would you? <laughs> So yeah, Chucky I'll
0: never tell. Okay, I'm done quoting it now. <laughs> yeah,
1: please stop. That's a better quote for fuck's sake. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can't agree with Chucky at number five because of his eighty kills, thirty of them were as Charles Lee Ray, not as the doll Chucky. So again, you know, if if you as a movie viewer count those kills as as part of the cumulative numbers, like I said, I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to say you're wrong. I'm just going to say I don't see how we can count that because then don't forget those are the 30 people that we know Charles Lee Ray killed. Or should I say that the that the authorities know that he killed? How do we know he didn't kill another like 20 uh, of bodies that they never found? You know what I mean? So it it just becomes too much of a gray area to start including kills.
0: And now that that Uh the Chucky doll is basically cloned into like a bunch of them <laughs>
1: exactly and for all oh, and then just to in case anyone is interested they did not include any kills from the first season of the tv series chucky um there were 21 kills on that first season of chucky but those are not included in this list but so they didn't in over 100 the, yeah exactly but they did include the kills from the remake so even yeah. though the remake <laughs> is <laughs> charles lee ray see h- here we are again it is a Chucky doll, but it's not Charles Learay. So, do yeah, you I know. feel like they
0: should have done the opposite in Count yeah, they the kind of of the, re- the remake.
2: They yeah. counted the remakes of Nightmare on Elm Street and Halloween as well.
1: Yes, uh, Friday, all of those. Yeah, all the remakes they include. So I'm okay with that, ultimately. It's still part of the franchise. Do, do and they have Leprechaun Origins? I thought they did. I thought they said every Leprechaun movie.
2: Because that's not even like the actual technical leprechaun, because it's like a little creature.
1: Exactly, yeah. I mean, you uh, would think Pinhead
0: technically, just because of like the lore behind how he's been doing this through all fucking time and dimensions, that you could make the argument, but if we're going for on screen, I don't see how he's the one.
2: You know who he didn't kill though, Lemmy? He didn't? <laughs> no one killed Lemmy. <laughs> you beat him uh. in poker.
0: <laughs> are they going to have to add to Pinhead's list with the with the remake, or is that a, guess a different entity? I
1: mean, <laughs> ultimately, they would have to. Yeah, even though it's not, it's still Pinhead. It's still the it's, the, yeah. the character of Hell Priest. It's just a different Hell Priest. So it's not that. I, I would still count it definitely. Uh, where are we here, Jason? Oh no, Invisible Man at one hundred. Uh, again, it's a matter of if you accept the train derailing because even though he didn't you know with his own hands kill the people on that train he did actively derail the train you know i mean there's the famous scene where he plays with the controls purposely derails the train fuck and the if train this, and, was,
2: mm-hmm. fuck, if this is the case they should just fucking have mr glass from fucking i was going to say train mr number glass derails number the
0: trains and in- Thank you. Plains, and yeah. Planes and buildings. <laughs> That's
1: right. I mean, he did that multiple times. They don't even bring up Mr. Glass. Yeah, see, see, this is what I mean. You know, God bless Watch Mojo for trying to, you know, put out entertaining content. And I do watch their stuff a lot. So for whatever it's worth, it's well made. It's, it is entertaining. But I do find myself disagreeing with them a lot when they make a horror list. Like, you know, obviously they'll do a top 10 horror, you know, for the year, every year. And every year I'll agree with some of the choices on top. But then some of the choices, like in the bottom five of the top 10, I'll just be like, really? Annabelle comes home is in your top 10 for the year? Really? Okay, whatever. You know, it's watch mojo. I don't anticipate that they're watching all the independent horror and all the foreign horror that we watch. So. You know, their 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 list will always be a little bit jaded, blah, blah, blah. So
2: their list is like Brandon Orlick's
1: (laughs) inside joke. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. Number three, Jason. Of course, it's Jason. We're not going to argue with that. The only thing I'm bitching about is all the people in the space station that they killed and Jason X that he gets no credit for. Yet the Invisible Man gets credit for derailing that train. So I would need some kind of explanation as to why they looked at it that way. But whatever. Michael Myers at number two, 161. That number is obviously going to shoot up over 170 with the release of the next movie. So I, I would be comfortable saying Michael after this next movie. I'll definitely be comfortable saying Michael is the most prolific horror movie killer ever Um and pinhead at number one, like I said, I just can't agree with that. Um, yes, there are there's over two hundred or yeah, there's over two hundred people in that club, but when the scene is over, we do not see two hundred bodies on the ground. We still see a lot, mind you, but not everybody that was in that club. so I'm the kind of person that if I don't see it on screen or it's not specifically implied with some dialogue, then to me it just didn't happen so so. That that's pretty much our burning question, folks. Where the fuck's like- Wishmaster? Yeah, yeah, I'll go with that. Hell, and then the biggest thing for me that I was wondering about is where are all the like the the characters like like let's say Dracula. Like, you're not going to tell me that Dracula hasn't killed more than 100 people in the plethora of fucking Dracula movies? Now, <laughs> I understand that that's not one franchise, like a Friday the 13th or a Hellraiser or a Leprechaun, but it is still one character that's been reintroduced umpteen times over the years. Why isn't he on this list? Why isn't, you know, King Kong on this list? I mean, King Kong had to have taken out a lot of on. god fucking godzilla takes out buildings full of people now you know at at this point they would probably start talking about well is godzilla horror blah 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 because this is specifically a horror list but yeah i mean there's no reason for a godzilla not to be on here for a king kong not to be on here um a dracula like i said just you know a wolfman just just basic wolfman um it's like where do you draw the line um and and that's kind of like what we're trying to do here, trying to figure out where we actually do draw. Yeah, where's Mary
2: and Tyler Moore on this list?
1: <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so there it is, folks. That is our burning question for the week. What do you guys think? Hit us up on Twitter at Zero Room in Hell, or hit us up on our Facebook page, No More Room in Hell, and let us know what you think. It, did Watch Mojo get this list right? Is Pinhead. Really, the most prolific killer in movie history, or do you guys tend to lean towards someone else? Hit us yeah, up. And let, join us the how, uh, and let us know how,
0: and let us know the specifications of how you would say it's a good tabulation of kills, as far as like on screen direct involvement, or how can they be a, just a mastermind? Like, let us know what you think.
1: Yep, absolutely. <sighs> Woo, that was a good one. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, we should definitely have more lists on tap for the future. Yeah, yeah, I hey, like it.
1: If, if I keep seeing lists that piss me off, oh, I'll keep bringing them to the table, I assure you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right. Well, uh, with that said, we are going to take a break and come back to talk about this uh, episode's features, which are Venom's picks, and I don't even think we named them all. So, Venom, what are we going to be talking about after the break?
1: Well, as uh As you were able to figure out with my greeting earlier when I said hello to the spring breakers, we are looking at two spring break horror films. I wanted to go with one that was kind of obvious, a theatrical release that a lot of us are familiar with, and then one that's maybe a little bit more obscure, maybe not as many people have seen. So I went with my obvious choice of 2009's The Ruins, and then my less obvious choice of 2010's Atrocious Out of Spain – uh, this is a Spanish-language found footage movie, so th- there's multiple things to piss you off about this movie, depending on the kind of horror viewer you are. But, yeah, those are our movies for the day, and uh, we'll talk about those when we get back. Yeah. So, what do you guys think? Ancient Mayan Temple off the beaten path.
0: I want to go. I'm
3: in. This
0: feels weird, Jeff. Why won't they come near us?
3: Wow. Beautiful. Did you see that?
1: Something's on me. They won't let us leave.
3: Why are they doing this? Has something to do with the ruins. Get me! It's inside me. I wanna cut it. No! No! I'm not okay. You keep saying I'm okay. I'm not okay. Why would you look at me? <laughs>
0: Esto de aquí es mi hermana Julie. Nosotros nos dedicamos a investigar leyendas urbanas. ¿Te gusta?
3: No está mal, ¿eh?
0: Tú no sabrás una leyenda sobre una niña, ¿no? Está por aquí cerca.
3: Mira esto que te decía.
0: Qué chungo
3: qué pinta de tétrico tiene que tener esto por la noche, madre mía?
2: ¿Eso que no quiero que salga el Bien, ¿Qué? ¿Me
3: oyes el ruido? ¿Y si es la niña qué? ¿Qué? 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 Yum,
2: yum, it's time for a tasty and refreshing snack. To satisfy your hunger, your thirst, your sweet tooth. So visit our
1: refreshment center now. Let's go! And now, on with the show. All right, welcome back, folks. Uh, Back to episode number 45 of No More Room in Hell. Of course, as mentioned earlier, we're looking at spring break horror films. We're going to go ahead and start our feature reviews. With 2009's The Ruins, released in April 2009, Uh, oh, I'm sorry, I'm misreading this, 2008, this is a 2008 film, uh, released in April 2008, directed by Carter Smith, written by Scott Smith, and stars jenna malone laura ramsey and jonathan tucker our synopsis is as follows a a leisurely mexican holiday takes a turn for the worst when a group of friends and a fellow tourist embark on a remote archaeological dig in the jungle where something evil lives among the ruins um i'm gonna go ahead and start with this one because i actually have a long history with this one um This is one where I actually did read the book when it first came out. And for those who don't know or or don't remember, this movie was optioned before the book was even released, which definitely brought an interest to the book right away. Once I heard that a studio had picked up uh, this script. um, It just kind of made me interested because usually that means. It's a pretty good book. When a when a book is optioned for a film before its release, uh, you could probably make a pretty safe bet that that's a pretty solid book. So um, I, went, I went ahead and picked that up early on, read it, enjoyed it. I, I, I'm not going to say that I loved it, you know, but I, I did enjoy it a lot. It was really good. But then I went to see the movie, and it was the movie that really put me over the top. I had a really good time with this film. Saw this opening night back in 2008. The wife and I both love the hell out of it. Um, you know, you do get a lot of the shitty horror characters. You know, the good-looking white people who are put in a you know perilous situation. But um, the nice thing about this one is that the good-looking white people get really ugly really quick in this film, and I'm I'm not just talking about their appearance. Um, You know, the the relationship here, it's very realistic how this this group of friends relationship breaks down when they are in a caught in a perilous situation. Uh, For those who haven't seen the film, and I hope that's only a few of you out there. um, Basically, we are introduced to four friends from America, Jeff, Amy, Stacy and Eric. They are they are vacationing in Mexico, as our synopsis mentions and it's their last day in Mexico they're leaving the next day and they haven't gone to any ruins any mayan temples they haven't done anything historic like that and one of uh one of the friends jeff who is about to become a doctor really wanted to see some of the ruins so he meets up with a tourist named matthias um, and, of course, as we all know, it's always a good idea to hook up with a stranger when you're on vacation in a horror movie. So uh-huh. we know where this is all going. <laughs> uh, Matthias, of course, leads them to an ancient Mayan ruins that uh, is basically not on any map. It's not a tourist trap. Um, and then the movie just kind of spirals from there. Uh, you know, once they get there, they're attacked by the locals. They don't know why. And the movie just kind of spirals from there. So. Um, as I said, I saw this in theaters. I absolutely loved it. I had read the book. Um, the book, you could probably make an argument that the book is a little bit better since the book actually goes into more backstory on both the temple and the plants themselves, the vines, uh, the proverbial vines from the movie. Um, But this movie, holy shit, it's gore effects. Uh, The gore effects in this movie are spectacular. I actually, I own this Blu-ray and whenever I watch this movie, I always watch the special features about the special effects afterwards because it's so riveting seeing them, you know, with all the different prosthetics that they had. Um I would probably say based on the um uh, behind the scenes special feature about 80 to 85% of the effects in this movie are practical. There is still CG in here. Some spots are very obvious like when the plants are emulating the cell phone ring. That's very obviously a CG shot. But then there's other shots like when the vines are pulling severed limbs uh you know away from the rest of the body You know, for them to feed on those those kind of look practical, but they actually are CG. So that's kind of cool. I'm going to have a lot of facts about the the making of this film that kind of make me really, really enjoy it more. But let's just say for general thoughts, I I love this movie. I think the effects are great. I think the deterioration of the friendship is very realistic, very organic. It makes 100 percent sense. Um, I love the ending of this movie. I loved what the perceived ending could be. The fact that with the ending is the rest of the world kind of fucked. Hmm. Who knows? Um, So Mm. let's go ahead and go with, uh, let's go with Mike this time. Um, Mike, uh, tell me a little bit about your, when you first saw the ruins and what you think of it today.
0: All right. So I also saw this one back in the day when it released and I've always been a fan of it. I, I think it's kind of one of those... I, I don't want to say underrated or underseen because I think by now more people have seen it, but at the time it seemed like it kind of flew under the radar. It, I, I don't know like how successful it was, but it didn't seem like a ton of people talked about it at the time. Um, obviously, I didn't know all the people I do now, so it's not like I have that pulse on what the, you know all our common friends and stuff said on it at the time. But one thing I liked about this movie is it does almost nothing through exposition. We learn everything kind of as it's happening on screen, right? There's no, there's no like kind of, you know, long drawn out scene with like, Oh, a local that explains everything that the dumb white people don't know, you know, like it's just like, okay, they're up there and obviously something is bothering, I guess you would call them like the protectors of uh, the ruins or whatever, or I, maybe not so much protectors, but they're just the like the village elders that kind of know, hey, don't go fucking with that because it's cursed and all that shit. And uh, kind of like their reaction is what sells kind of that start or or that scene at least where they're like basically forcing them up in there and what really puts it over the top is the scene with the kid i mean i'll i guess i'll leave it uh that ambiguous for now but that really kind of drives the point home of how scared they are uh Mm -hmm. with what's going on and yeah once they're up there and just relationships kind of break down and uh pretty rapidly and i like that you know it's kind of in times of crisis, the old saying, like in times of crisis, you see how people really are. And I think the way the characters are written uh, reflects that. And just, it, it goes downhill quick. And that's like, and that's only when we're getting a little bit of, I I don't know how much we want to say, but you know, what's starting to happen up there. We're not even that far into it yet. um, And shit's already breaking down. So, you know, it's not going to, and well, I also like uh, how um, the plants do kind of mimic and yeah. are, you know, they show the signs of like the intelligent life in it and how it kind of just draws people in, tricks them. And I, I think that was a cool element to it. And overall, um, I am a fan of this movie. I, I was a little worried like, Oh, I've seen it again after all this time. Is it, is it going to hold up to what I thought of it initially? But yeah, I, my rating, I wouldn't say it went up necessarily, but it was pretty much the movie I remembered seeing. And I, I think I've, you know, casually seen it once or twice since just it's been on TV. And I'm like, oh, I'll just keep it on the channel. But really sitting down to watch it again, it just reiterate that, yeah, I, I do like it. And I'm assuming, you know, many people have seen it by now. But if you haven't, I'm also giving it a solid recommend.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, for you were saying that your rating didn't really change on this watch. My rating actually did go up on this watch only because for a 14 year old movie, this movie is still very effective there. Admittedly. Yes. There's some over the top stuff in here. Like Mike said, the the fact that these plants can kind of mimic sounds to try to trap their prey that could be construed as very hokey and over the top, or um, you could just kind of, try to accept it which is what i did in the theater rather than just laughing at it like a lot of people in the theater did i tried to accept it and i you know i also try to put myself in these situations you know as one of the characters and you know thinking about what i would do or how i would react and it's like i don't have any problems with any of the decisions made in this movie i mean these five kids that get trapped up on the temple you know, their, their hands were forced, you know, the local Mayans kind of forced them once they got too close to the vines during that opening uh, confrontation, their their fate was sealed. And, you know, the, the Mayans are just basically trying to keep this thing from getting out, um, you know, th- through a human host. So, yeah, I, I, I just loved, you know, that whole the dichotomy of that relationship just worked out so well for me uh, between the locals and the friends and everything else, so yeah uh, Derek, jump on in here, tell me what you think of The Ruins
2: Yeah uh, I remember, I didn't see this movie in theaters when it first came out, I remember it, more when it came on like DVD and video I rented it from like maybe Redbox, Redbox was big back then, <laughs> Uh, But, uh, yeah, the first thing that was weirding me out about this movie was, like, produced by Ben Stiller. I'm like, what? (laughs) Uh, That was a weird little thing that I saw. I'm like,
1: really? Yeah, and he's actually a big fan of this movie. He loves this movie. Um, He actually does do an interview on the Blu-ray and the special features, and, yeah, Ben Stiller really likes this movie. Kind of surprising.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and, you know, uh, I might be a little bit biased because I actually know Jonathan Tucker in real life. He plays Jeff in the movie. Uh, he grew up with my cousin. He's uh, from my area. <laughs> Hi. But, uh, yeah, so uh, so I'm a little, I might be a little bit biased with him. Uh, you know, I like his him in this movie. Jenna Malone, you know, I, I talked about her a lot during my 2016 uh, summer series where we did the neon demon when she fucks a corpse. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah. Anyways, uh Sean Ashmore, you know, Iceman, he's in this movie. Uh you know, there's, there's some good cast for this error of movie in this. Uh yeah, Killer Plants. Didn't see it coming. And I like killer plant movies. Contamination point seven is one of my guilty pleasures. Nice watch that shit all the time. Uh, The movie has a love-hate relationship with me, where I like most of the movie. I like, you know, actually, I think we're going to get into it with the alternate ending, which is because I have the unrated edition Mm Blu-ray, which actually includes that scene where Venom's talking about, which wasn't in the original version of the movie, which I actually Mm -hmm. think it elevates it, but yeah, some of that CGI effects on her face at the end of the movie is like,
3: what the fuck?
2: (laughs) And then, you know, then it has that end stinger where the two friends come and like, this is the fucking end in the Jumanji. Instead of two French girls, it's two Greek guys. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, Jesus Christ. Kind of cheesy, you know. You know, but overall, I enjoy a lot of this movie. You know, those are some nitpicky shits that I'm talking about right there. But overall, still an enjoyable watch, and some good gore, like that fucking leg scene. Oh my god!
1: Yeah, the surgery scene or amputation scene. Holy shit! And to watch the behind the scenes, the the effort that they put into that. They they had like six or seven uh, different pairs of legs that they had to use. Um, you know, with various stages of uh, injury, you know, some still broken or, or not yet broken, others broken, some cauterized where the wound has been cauterized. Just seeing the effort that they put into the practical effects just really makes me love the movie even more. So, yeah, this was a good purchase on Blu-ray. I think it only cost me like $8 or something a couple of months ago. So,
2: um, you know. I just wanted to add my favorite scene of this movie is when we find out what that ringing as we look oh, at the phone. I and love then it. the reveal of it, it's like,
3: oh. oh.
1: I mean, that's what I mean. That, that's thats literally the point in the movie where you're going to go one of two ways. You're, you're going to look at the movie now as a cartoon and over the top, and just you're not going to take it seriously. And the rest of it is just going to be, you know, just something to kind of power through. Or you're going to accept it and you're going to, you're going to like kind of be into the whole. Um, the suspense of it. And and then the, the cool thing is, too, is that when you see that, if if you're not tuned out, if that if that little reveal doesn't tune you out, the thought of what else they can do was always in the back of my head. I mean, you know, because how over the top are they going to go with this? Like now we know that the plants can emulate sounds, uh, you know, are they going to start emulating voices? Are they going to start emulating you know, whole conversations or maybe some other ability, like God forbid. I mean, if it was like it had some kind of um, ESP type ability where it could actually possess a person without getting into its body. I mean, the sky was the limit for me. Once I see plants emulating a cell phone, it's like sky's the limit. This, I mean, this thing might end up in outer space for all I know. So oh. I was very on board with it. You know, with that reveal, I was on board. I didn't laugh. I thought it was legitimately cool. You know, I mean, this is obviously a temple that hasn't been touched by human hands in centuries. Lord knows what could be growing inside of there, how it could mutate, what it could turn into. So I was totally on board for it the whole way. Um, Back in 08, when I saw it in the theater and this week watching it at home, it, it just reminded me how good it still really is. It holds up really well for me. You know, yeah, the CG might be a little sketchy at times, but, you know, ultimately you know, find me a 15-year-old movie that doesn't have sketchy CG that's not called Jurassic Park. And, you know, uh, it's still fairly common. So, um, yeah, this movie works for me in so many ways. Um, We've already talked kind of about the gore, you know, the relationships between these people, the fact that Matthias isn't even really a friend. He's just basically um, another vacationer from Germany who heard about this temple, and now they, you know, go out to it. Without any research or anything, which, you know, that's the way in a horror movie.
2: It's It's hilarious that they cast an Australian guy to play a German.
1: Yeah, <laughs> very true. <laughs> and actually, this movie was shot in Australia, for those who don't know. Yeah. Yes, the movie is based out of Mexico, but it is shot in Australia. Another reason that I really like this movie is that none of this movie was done on a set. Everything was done outside in the open Australian air. Now, obviously, there's no Mayan temples in Australia, so they did have to build the temple itself. But basically, those were just facades. They basically created two sides of the um, of the structure, and then the top of it was a whole other set. So, like when you would see like an extended shot of the ruins from like far away, and then it would instantly go to like a close up of the campsite on top. Those would not be in the same place. Th- those are two wow. different shots stitched together. And even even the shots like the, the, um, the long shots of the entire temple, those are actually two shots stitched together, like digitally stitched together. So the CG that's in this movie might not be where you expect it to be. You might, you might think it's going to be in a lot of the plant effects where it is at, at times, but a lot of the CG here is just stitching like backgrounds together so that it looks natural. So even though they're not shooting on a set, they did have to build that temple. And from certain angles, you can tell that it's a, you know, um, something that was built very fast, that something that wasn't there for hundreds of years. So again, I'll give them credit for the, uh, the ingenuity to, to be able to do that. Uh, the other cool thing about shooting outside is that all the sweat and the discomfort that the actors are going through in the film is real. Like, you know, all the scenes where obviously they didn't actually get sunburnt. I'm sure they were using, um, you know, sunblock while they were filming, but like them sweating, them being thirsty, out of breath, that was all real. Uh, Cause they were shooting out in the Australians, uh, the Australia's sun. And for those who've been to Australia, yeah, summers in Australia are a bitch. Hot as hell. So, yeah, cool little uh, things there. I also like a lot of the little touches that are in this movie. Um, I don't know if you guys noticed. I'm sure you did. But when uh, when Amy first goes down um, into the temple going after Matthias, who's already fallen and broken uh, his back at this point, there's a shot when she's going down where we see some of the plant's tendrils kind of stick out of the wall, and they almost look like fingers. They almost look like the plant has a hand, and it's reaching out towards her. It's very subtle, and you might miss it because it's quick, but it's literally one of my favorite shots in the movie. It's so fucking creepy, yeah. like you know? Ugh, yeah. I loved it. Yeah, um, you know what would make it even
2: better? All of a sudden, meteor shit!
3: Jordan! Oh, no! <laughs>
2: jody bear i was getting <laughs> some vibes when they're growing that shit on them
1: that is true yeah absolutely um and then we just slowly see these kids um because obviously as the viewer you know we're privy to more information we know that the plants are kind of alive and dangerous long before the characters in the movie do so like like when when Stacy first cuts her leg and she uses the vine to stop the bleeding, instantly I'm just like, oh no! What are you doing? You're putting it right on an open sore, you dumb shit. But of course she doesn't know any better. You know I'll cut her some slack, but yeah, it's like you know she she just doomed herself right there. And then to see the characters deterior, deteriorate, both physically and mentally, um, especially Stacy, to actually watch her you know the scene where she is trying to cut some of the vines out of her i mean that is that's one of the most intense scenes yeah. in this film like the amputation is one thing because you know the gore looks great but to actually watch this little petite cute little blonde cutting into her own flesh and pulling out these living vines that that's some terrifying shit right there so yeah that's some CG right there, but uh, I think that's some really well done CG with the vines both inside and then getting pulled out of the body. I think those are some really nice shots in there. And then after Matthias's injury, of course, after he breaks his back um, and they wake up one morning to find that his legs have been almost completely eaten by the plants. Yes, eaten, as in there's very little flesh left on the legs. There's just bones exposed. That is an epic shot. That, that is a, just a lovely shot right there. Beautiful special effects. Um who actually did the effects for this movie? I should have looked it up, but yeah. Yeah, you know. let's let's find out together. Uh, art department, special effects, Beverly Abbott, visual effects. Oh, supervisor Leo Baker, coordinator Beverly Abbott. So, the, the, no one I know by name, but some really solid effects in this film. One of the high points of the film, you know, for a lot of people, including myself, is going to be these cool ass effects. Um, and then th- did anybody else notice how the girls kind of swap personalities from day one to day two? Was I the only one who noticed that? Like in on day one, when they were still at the hotel and then when they were traveling to um, the temple, um Amy, the brunette, was like the standoffish one, the one who didn't really want to go, the one who was worried about going someplace that was kind of off the beaten path. And it was the blonde, Stacy who was like all bubbly, like, yes, let's push forward. You know, let's keep going, blah, blah, blah. And then literally day two, they both get up and they're literally the opposite personality. Now the blonde is standoffish and she doesn't want to go into the temple. And it's the brunette. Amy, who's suddenly all brave and she wants to do the right thing and blah, blah, blah. It just came out of nowhere and felt odd to me. I don't know if anybody. It's, else
2: that, a, it's that deliverance thing with the Burt Reynolds and John Voigt character where Burt Reynolds is the more Gun Ho one and John Voigt's the more standoffish one until the switch happens where Burt Reynolds is fucking scared for his life because he's wounded mm-hmm. and then fucking. John Boyce, the one who's getting shit done now.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, that's valid. I, I I, mean, the only thing I was bringing up is just how it just comes out of nowhere. Like, there was no there was no event that was the catalyst for that personality swap. They literally went to bed and then woke up the next morning with each other's personalities. So that that was kind of weird to me, but, you know, it, it's a very, very minor nitpick. It was just something maybe, I noticed.
2: Maybe one got fucked and one didn't.
1: Well, one gave a hand job, and the other didn't. I know the blonde gave her boyfriend a hand job that either that was either the second night, maybe, so I mean, at least the blonde and her boyfriend were actively still trying to have fun and try to get their mind off the horror, whereas the two you know Jeff and Amy were both just pretty much at each other's throats throughout the majority of the film. Amy is just not a good person, like the whole movie I'm thinking. John Jeff the doctor like how did you end up with this girl this you are so out of her league I hate to say it but it's true she's I I mean you know Jenna Malone is Jenna Malone I'm not saying she's not attractive but I'm saying Jonathan Tucker and I say this in the most heterosexual way possible Jonathan Tucker is a fucking Adonis. You know what I mean? He's like, good looking. He's well built. And then Jenna Malone is this frumpy little brunette that drinks too much and parties too much. It's like, how the fuck did these two get together? (laughs) You know, but, you know, whatever. Uh, Just another observation, not really a a nitpick or anything too stupid. But, yeah. Another question I had, I don't know if you guys (laughs) might have some insight on this or any ideas, but. Why did it seem like the vines inside the temple were were like more active than the vines outside? Did you notice that? Like the vines outside, yeah. were slow. They would be like more creeping, but then the vines inside were just like rah. <laughs> the,
2: the heart of it, maybe, maybe like when you get closer to where the heart of the vines are, that's where
3: awesome,
1: they're yeah, more active. The heart
0: of it, the life, the <laughs> blood, the darkness. Who knows? That's what I was Even thinking. Maybe that's the curse is stronger.
1: Yeah, I was thinking that maybe the sunlight, because the plants don't really do a lot during the day, but then based on what you find the next morning, they're obviously active at night. I mean, they eat people's legs and, you know, get into people's bodies. But yeah, so I mean, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking that maybe the darkness made them more active or more angry or whatever you want to go with, because uh, they were more active at night. The ones that were outside the temple seemed to be more active at night. So yeah, that makes sense. Let's go with that.
2: Yeah, no, thinking about it more, of it. I mean, it's all Amy's fault, anyways, because she she didn't step on the vines. They probably could have get out of there.
1: Yeah, and and you know what? I actually am so like, why did she step on those vines? Like, that's not something that a that a um, upper class white girl would do. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they would avoid stepping in plants like that. Like, just a random plant. Like, they don't know if it's poison ivy, poison oak, whatever. Um, but the fact that she just willy nilly because she got scared jumped into it. Just kind of felt odd to me. I mean, obviously it's a convenient plot point; you have to advance the plot somehow. I just, I, I wish it would have been different. Like maybe somebody tripped and accidentally fell into the, the vines, and yeah. then that was the catalyst for how it all started. I, I don't know. It, again, minor yeah. nitpicks. It's and, really and the only thing I'm going to have about this movie is minor nitpicks because I don't yeah. have any major problems really with. it. Yeah.
2: Them. Yeah, for sure.
1: Um, you know. I, <laughs> Uh, I love the shot of the vines dragging away Matthias' amputated legs. <laughs> it's kind of silly. Once again, that shot could be construed as silly to, the, to a certain kind of movie viewer. But then to somebody else, like, for example, me, it just looks so cool. I think it was so awesome. Because that's when you finally get the confirmation of, oh, these motherfuckers are, are uh, carnivorous. Like, they're not just trying to kill these people. They want to eat their ass. Like, Ooh,
3: <laughs> drumsticks. <laughs>
1: That's interesting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Free drumsticks. <laughs> so, yeah, um, you know. Oh, uh, what do we got? Uh, you know, uh, that's right around the same time that we find out that the plants actually can mimic sounds, which, you know, is another catalyst. It's another major point of the movie where, you know, a viewer might completely lose interest or become completely enthralled. You know, it's just a, it's a matter of what kind of viewer you are. Um, but, yeah, I mean, what else can we say about this movie? You know, the ending is the ending. I mean, the movie's still fairly new. I'm not going to get but I, I just kill a little gonna... kid. I mean, and then the kid. Yeah, that's the thing, too. Derek brought that scene up. Holy shit. Or, or Mike. Uh, one of them brought that up. But that is a heavy scene where basically um, our our five friends are once again trying to have a confrontation with the locals. The locals are actually mm-hmm. are, you know, keeping them, you know, at bay not allowing them to leave the temple area. At one point, uh, Amy picks up a large piece of a vine and throws it at them and actually hits a child, like one of the local Mayan children. And as soon as the plant touches them, you see all the adults around them start screaming and pointing at them. Um, And the little kid doesn't know what to do. He's just looking around like, what did I do? I didn't do anything. And then the main Mayan, uh, the older gentleman, the the very first Mayan that we see show up there, shoots the kid just point blank in the middle of of his his mom, right in front of his mother, shoots him right in the fucking face. And that really sets a tone for this movie, that scene. I mean, at this point, we've already seen Dimitri get killed, which is a spectacular first death, in my opinion. For the first kill in this movie... I think that's great because he gets an arrow to the heart, which in and of itself is probably more than enough to get the job done. But then literally a couple of seconds after the arrow hits his heart, he gets shot in the face, which in in what is admittedly a CGI shot. But then when you get the aftermath, that's practical. Uh, I saw that in the behind the scenes. So the actual shot is CG Uh, But the, but even though it's CG, uh, unless you pause on it, it still looks pretty good. And it comes out of nowhere. Like that, that, that kill literally comes out of nowhere. It's just arrow to the chest and then boom gun, you know, pistol to the face and you see every bit of it, you know, they don't cut away at all. So it definitely sets a tone for the movie. And then, you know, the very next major plot point is the little kid getting killed and, that's fucking heavy. So to watch a little, I don't know, 10 to 12 year old kid just get killed because he happened to be standing on the wrong spot. You know, that these, uh, you know, that the locals are willing to do anything to keep this plant bacteria, virus, whatever you want to go with to basically keep it from escaping because it can escape in the human body as has been, you know, implied multiple times at this point. Um, oh what else can we say about this one um good score it's not hard to have good cinematography when you're in beautiful australia you know and it looks like mexico so i mean you've got two really nice locales the implied one and the actual one um so the cinematography solid the score is pretty good uh actually i think the score is actually above average for this i like the score on this one a lot
2: yeah uh, Graham uh, Ravel. yeah
1: yes exactly Uh, You've got some great, you know, cabin fever level of mutilations throughout, which is always welcomed by a gore hound like myself. Um, I was I was kind of surprised that we actually get a character in this movie who dies not by either the Mayans or the plant, but ends up dying at the hands of his own girlfriend. That that was kind of an interesting decision, an interesting twist, you know, rather than having everybody die by the hands of the plants or the Mayans. We actually get a little bit of a uh, misunderstanding where, you know, one of the friends ends up stabbing the other. I I actually like that scene a lot. Um, Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, I really, really dig it. And for whatever it's worth, I wrote down in my notes, at least the Vines didn't get Eric. (laughs) He got out easy, I guess. You can kind of look at it that way. At least his death wasn't long, you know, prolonged and painful.
0: Um, yeah, I also I also do like that. It's a tight 90 minutes and it it's paced pretty well. Yeah. I like that. I like that. They're they're already in distress and you already kind of have the fearful atmosphere before really the vines themselves start doing anything. It, it, it sets it up to where like, OK, on top of everything else going on, we don't know why the hell we're being forced up here. I think it's like into the night or maybe the next day. And then you start getting more vine action, and then you start to realize, okay, this is what's going on, and it 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 just kind of escalates from there. And then you you know, without spoiling the ending, I guess I I thought it was cool that that's how they went with it because with with that last scene, they could have done something different, I guess, but they what they did do, I I appreciate a lot, and I wasn't expecting it. Yeah. Yeah
1: very much so. Try to keep um, it
0: try to keep it vague there just for anyone who hasn't seen it I guess. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. Um a couple of little extras here that I wrote down while watching some of the special features. We've already talked about Ben Stiller was an executive producer on this movie. He does love this movie. He reveres it highly. Uh, He talks about it in the special features, how much the end product affected him when he first sat down and watched it. So it's pretty cool that Ben Stiller has a little bit of horror cred to him. So that's awesome. Um, We already talked about how the movie was optioned uh, before the book was even released. Uh, For those who don't know, um, the author of this book also wrote a simple plan which turned into a Cohen's brother, a great Cohen's brother movie, so you know um, I love we've got that some movie too yeah, got cool. some awesome author cred there as well, and then a couple of uh, minor differences that I had written down from the book um from in the movie, it's Eric's girlfriend Stacy, who gets infected and ends up cutting herself open in the book it's Eric, it's actually Eric. I don't know why they made the decision to go with um. Stacy, as the kind of the mutilation victim in the movie, as opposed to the book. I don't know if maybe they thought people would be more sympathetic to a woman going through these injuries or what, but there it is. Um, Eric and Stacy kind of switched places in the book. Yeah, and I think
2: the, uh, actually, because I actually read the book too, I think mm-hmm. there's actually a few like entrances of like people switching. Because I think it's not even Matthias that gets his back broken, I think it's actually Dimitri in the book.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. Actually, now that I think about it. It's been so long for me,
2: but yeah, it's been a while too. I I remember like when I first because I read the book before I seen the movie, and I was like, wait a minute, that is not supposed to do that. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> uh, let's see. In the in the in the in the book, uh, the temple isn't actually a tall temple. It's, <laughs> it's a short mound. It's literally just a mound. But uh, the filmmakers decided to make it a taller temple because aesthetically it looks better. It also makes more sense that the Mayans are able to keep um, them at bay if it's, you know, a tall uh, structure where they can actually watch them come down the steps and, you know, prepare for them trying to escape. Whereas with just the mound, they could literally just jump off it at any time and you know try to make it into the woods before they get shot. So, you know, a minor difference there, but, you know, nothing too major. Yeah. Uh, The vines in the movie are based on real life pumpkin vines. Um, If you've ever been to a pumpkin patch, you've probably seen vines that look almost exactly like the vines in this movie. The only difference is, is that pumpkin vines don't have the red flowers that we see in the film. But otherwise, I mean, in the, in the special features, they actually show a side by side shot of real life pumpkin vine and then the vine in the movie. And they're almost identical. The, the ones in the movie actually almost look better. They look like more lively and um, more colorful. They did have to change the color palette a little bit because at first they emulated the pumpkin vine exactly. The problem is, is that the design on the leaves of the pumpkin vine is very intricate and it didn't translate well to film. It just looked kind of like jumbled mess, like a jumbled mess. So they actually slightly changed um, the design on the leaves and made them slightly more transparent so that when the sun shone through them, you can kind of see through the leaf. So that was kind of an aesthetic choice on the filmmakers part. But still, it's about 95 percent looking like the pumpkin vines so yeah and then i already mentioned how the structure of the temple itself is actually two pieces on the set um there was you know the one side of the facade of the temple that they could climb up and then the top part was a whole nother set at a different location in australia so um yeah some of the cool stuff that you see uh in the special features if you own the blu-ray for the ruins um and before we move on you guys have anything else you want to add
2: no, it was just like go, Jonathan Tucker.
1: Uh,
0: <laughs> yeah, go see it because yeah, or, go. See it. I don't mean go see it. You'd probably be watching in your living room. So <laughs>
1: and don't get any funny ideas, Jonathan Tucker. I called you an Adonis, but I am very solidly married. So don't go calling me.
2: they will probably like <laughs> this post when I post it on Twitter.
1: Oh God, yeah, tell him. Fuck it. I I'd love to see the reaction. <laughs> Mr. Venom called you an Adonis. <laughs> All right, folks. So that is The Ruins 2008. Let's go ahead and go to our next film. Our next film comes to us from Madrid, Spain. It is called Atrocious. Um, Yeah, 2010. Uh, let's see. It is directed and written by Fernando uh, Pareda Luna. Uh, it stars Cristian Valencia, Clara Maledara, and Chas Pereiro, choose Pereiro. Um, our synopsis is as follows Two teenage siblings endure a terrifying experience while investigating a rural legend near their family's vacation home. Now, folks, that doesn't really sound like a spring break movie. The only thing that really makes this movie a spring break movie is that the brother and sister are home from school. But it's not like they're, you know, they're, there's no spring break activities. There's no, like nothing makes this spring break other than one line of the kids saying, oh, we're home from school for the spring. So I went ahead and included it. And because I feel like this movie has been underwatched, I figured I'd bring it to the table. So it is a very loose spring break horror entry, but I'm still going to allow it because it's my picks. So, ha. All right. So, Ooh. Um. Yeah, as I mentioned, uh, found footage, Spanish film, dealing with an urban legend uh, near Madrid, Spain. Um, You know, let's go ahead and start with uh, Derek this time. Derek, why don't you tell me about Atrocious, your thoughts, your experiences.
3: Hmm.
2: Atrocious. Found footage is kind of an iffy subgenre for me. (laughs) There's some I really like. And some I do not fucking like. And uh, this one's a little above, like, uh, ones that I've seen. You know, I like it a lot. It does, what hurts it is it does kind of follow the basic found footage tropes, if that makes mm-hmm. any sense. Which, you know, it's going to end abruptly. I'm like, I'm even talking to myself when I was rewatching it. I know it's going to end here. <laughs> you know, like, you know, and then it has, like, that end stinger, and you're like,
3: what the fuck?
2: Did I just watch? Yeah. But anyway, you know, I, I actually, like, there's some good tension-building moments, and I love the all, like, the night cam shit yeah. that's in the movie. It's great. Uh, you know, it's not long, which... Is a plus, you know. It's only, it runs under an hour and nineteen minutes. It's not even like fucking, not even that long. You know, it's mm-hmm. like it, it it breezes by. So it's not like I fucking some of them like when there's a fucking movie that's like an hour and forty minutes and it's found footage and like why are you this long? <laughs> Fuck you. But you know, it breezes by. There's some good tension building. I and another thing that I like. Which, you know, we're actually going to talk about Cloverfield later on another show. I like that these all feel like real people. Where, in Cloverfield, Mm -hmm. I know this person's a celebrity because I've seen him in other fucking movies. You know. Which I hate with even, like, the Quarantine remake did that same shit. Yep. Where, like, you know, it's like, why are you making this found footage? I know who this person is. It doesn't feel (laughs) real. You know. But, yeah. So, for what it is... Pretty solid. Is it like a one that I go back to a lot? Probably not. Yeah. But, uh, I, you know, if I'm like if somebody hasn't seen it, I would throw it on for them.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, Mike, come on in here. What would you think of Atrocious?
0: OK, so this was actually a first time watch for me. Um, I was kind of 50-50 going in if I had actually seen it before or not, but I haven't and uh to me this kind of uh, i mean it's from 2010 so at first i was going to be like well it's kind of a throwback too but then again it's already what over a decade old at this point but i i really do think it kind of takes its cues from the earlier found footage it's really stripped down basic it 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 kind of feels like um Like a Blair Witch or Paranormal Activity towards the the beginning of that franchise before they started getting more over the top. And I think, like Derek said, found footage is like one of those divisive topics. There's people that just hate found footage, period. There's people that love it. And there's people in the middle that, you know, it's kind of on a movie-to-movie basis. Me personally, I really like these stripped-down versions of it where it's really – you're really investing in the characters and what they're doing and that's really what drives a movie like this because you already know like when it comes to scares or the tech not including you know the the found footage nature itself being the tech but just you know budgetary stuff within the movie it's not going to be you know Incredible. They're, they're just limited resource to work with. So um, I, I liked you know, when they were explaining kind of like the, the the story behind what they're kind of filming for, yeah. and I like that they were smart enough to say, well, there's different versions because you know when people different people report, they see different stuff. They kind of didn't lock themselves into a certain mythos. It was kind of like, well, it's different for everyone as far as what they report seeing, and all this and i like how it's slowly built i like how we kind of get i I don't know if it's a twist more so much as a reveal in that last act about what was going on and i think this does what good found footage movies do It, it it creates a solid foundation builds on the story and gives you an escalation to the third act and I think they pull it off well and it's it clocks in at a minute under eighty minutes. So it's a very quick watch. Um and I liked it a lot. And like I said, first time watch. So it's probably gonna get a rewatch for me not too far in the future. Because I you know, I I like to give follow watches to break down, see things I missed, look for aspects of the story or maybe hints and clues about what uh was maybe foreshadowed that i didn't pick up on the first time but even with all i'd said um i was a fan of this one for sure
1: yeah um this is a weird one because um this is one that i saw when it first came out back in 2010 and i liked it a lot now i wasn't podcasting back then i wasn't watching 250 new horror movies every year so you know watching a lot less horror back then I remember. I just remember looking back fondly on atrocious. Now on this watch, I'm not going to say that it went down drastically. My opinion of the film, I still really like the movie. I like it a lot. Um, I like the story. I like the urban legend going into it. You know, the kind of the the reason why we're filming everything. You know, why these kids are recording everything, trying to do a little documentary on a local urban legend. Uh, that legend being, of course, uh, Melissa in the Red Dress. Uh, the, uh, the short story is basically um, a little girl was lost in the woods. Her body was never found. And now, years later, if you get lost in the woods, the legend is, or in these particular woods, not in any woods, but if you get lost in these particular woods, that the little girl, Melinda, will show up, and she'll actually show you the way out of the woods. Um But then as we kind of watch the movie, we realize that there's different takes on this story. You know, we hear from another local, a friend of the family that actually um, tells a different version of the story where Melinda is a little bit more of a malevolent spirit than a helpful one. So uh, and that's kind of the nature of urban legends is, you know, depending on who's telling the story, it could change plot point, um, you know, drastically um, from Mm -hmm. storyteller to storyteller. So. Um, The movie starts out with a really cool quote on screen. Um, The quote is, the mind is like a labyrinth in which anyone can get lost. Now, what's funny is that if you really, really think about that quote, the movie is giving away its ending. That that quote literally gives the movie's ending away, assuming you think about it really hard and, you know, kind of think about how the movie's being set up, but then where the movie starts to go around the second act where suddenly it doesn't really feel so much like a supernatural story anymore. Suddenly it feels more like a slasher. And obviously that feeling is paid off in the third act when the movie basically does become a slasher. Um, I don't want to get too terribly spoilery with this one because um, the twist, you know, it's not the greatest twist ever. But it is, you know, a little different, especially because you're, you know, the whole movie, you're kind of expecting this supernatural thing. You know, this haunted, you know, girl or haunted woods, you know, potentially taking people out. Uh, But then we get the final reveal of what or who exactly is at fault for everything that's going on. And on this watch, the ending bothered me a little bit this time Uh around. Um, And the reason I say this is because I feel like the one person who's at fault for everything that happens in this movie is the dad. Uh Now, I can't obviously Derek and Mike know what I'm talking about. And anybody listening to my voice who's seen this movie, you probably know what we're talking about. But there's a reveal in this movie um, and it's a reveal to something that happened years ago, years ago. And dad was around for that event. Yet here's dad basically ignoring everything that happened. And then, ah, shit. How, how much can I get into this without giving it away? Let's just say, once you see the movie, you're going to be more mad at dad than anybody else, in, in my opinion, because it's like, I literally had so many questions. Why would you do this? Why would you do this? If you knew, that this was that this happened in the past. Why on God's green earth would you do this particular activity now? Um, like I said, I'm trying to be as ambiguous as possible for those who haven't seen it. But yeah, um, because of that little revelation and because of me kind of coming to terms with this whole movie is dad's fault. Dad's completely innocent, mind you. Dad is not the antagonist. Um, he, You know, he's 100 percent innocent as far as what's happening on screen. But what I'm saying is if dad had a previous knowledge of what was going on, this whole movie doesn't make sense to me. It's almost like it's almost like dad was in on it. But I don't believe that because of what happens at the very end of the film after dad calls the police. You know what I mean? So I I know we're being vague and ambiguous, folks, and I apologize for that. But this is a this is a 2010 movie. It's not exactly uh, 2011. Excuse me. In the US, um, you know, so we're only talking about an 11 year old movie that not a lot of people have seen. And I would like more people to check this movie out. It's not the easiest thing to find streaming. Unfortunately, I had the I, I rented it. Um, on uh, I think Amazon Prime for like two ninety nine or three ninety nine or something, well whatever the case may be. Uh, but it, yeah, it definitely isn't the easiest movie to find. So if you're lucky enough to find it, and you are a fan of both Spanish language horror and found footage, I would highly recommend this film. It's only sitting on a five out of ten currently on IMDb, which is in my opinion criminally low. But at the same time, the movie is imperfect. There are, you know, after a while, you're questioning, you get a lot of the questions that you always get from found footage movies. Why are you still carrying this camera around? Why are you still always pointing the camera forward when you're trying to run away from something? Just, you know, the, the, the general questions that you always get with a found footage movie. And just like Derek said, with any found footage movie, you know, it's going to be an abrupt ending. Once, once the last guy holding a camera dies, the movie has to end so, and it's going to be abrupt. Think of think of the last exorcism. Yeah. That That abrupt end, or, or or I guess the most famous abrupt ending would be the devil inside. But I wouldn't yeah. recommend that movie to anyone ever. <laughs> but um, so yeah, so I mean, a lot of the issues that you're going to find with that that most people will have with found footage movies, they're probably going to have with this one. Um, I'm not going to sit here and call this an exceptional found footage movie just because I'm biased towards Spanish horror. I will say the performances are pretty good. I think the kids do a really good job. All three kids, I thought, gave great performances. Mom is barely in the movie, so, I mean, you you almost can't really gauge how good Mom's performance was. I mean, she's barely in it. Um, Same thing with Dad. Dad's only in, like, maybe one or two scenes. It's really the kids. The three kids kind of, the two kids specifically, the two older siblings really take up a brunt of the camera time, screen time. So you're, 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 with them most of the time, but um, like I said, without getting into too many spoilers or anything, let's just say that on this watch, I had a little bit more problems with the film than I did on first watch. Still a good movie. I would still recommend it to fans of Spanish and found footage movies. But if you're not a fan of either of those subgenres, uh, this isn't really a movie I could recommend or say, you know, it's a must watch or anything like that. It's a solid movie. It's above average, definitely. It's not exceptional by any stretch, but you know, I've seen a lot worse. I've seen a lot worse. So yeah, for whatever it's worth, um, a pretty good film that's just maybe a little bit flawed here and there. Um, any other uh, closing thoughts from you guys? uh. good.
2: So do I piece. Um,
0: on? I I did like the labyrinth. It kind of made yes. me. Th- think of oh, yeah, the was... shining obviously you know. Yeah, yeah. Like what would the what would the shining uh, labyrinth look like if they paid no attention to it and it was like the spring or summer instead of winter.
1: Exactly. Uh, I mean not only do you get a labyrinth, you get someone with a limp walking around with an axe. Hmm. What's that make you think of? Danny. <laughs> mm-hmm. <Danny> boy! <laughs>
0: Yeah, I did like I I did like that he was mindful enough to like draw arrows to like try to help him navigate yeah, yeah. his way around. He's not an idiot. Yeah, um, I I think you know a lot of times with found footage, there's a lot of crossover with found footage movies. You you got the, like the night vision, you've got the the animal notices something we don't see. A lot of that stuff shows up in a lot of found footage. It's like any other genre you're gonna have. Um, concepts and ideas like recycled and used. So, I would say just bear with it. Uh, but for you know, for a lower budget movie where you know they didn't have a lot of resources, likely, I I, I found it pretty uh, compelling. And yeah, I think I think the, the point Derek made that it, these feel like real like siblings, like a real family. Like I, the the, the dynamic was there, especially with the brother and sister. Yeah. like the way they kind of. They fought, but it wasn't like, you know, real fighting. It was kind of that sibling kind of like more angst between them for little side issues that would come up, but then go away when they had bigger things to think about. Um, So, yeah, I thought the characters were well done. And I I have no idea if any of these cast members were like established or whatnot, but I thought they all did a good job in this movie.
1: Nice. Good performances all around. And, the last thing I'll say is, any movie that's willing to cook a kid in a fireplace is okay in my
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and poor doggy. Uh,
1: and and of course, poor doggy. It's a horror movie. Nine times out of ten, the pet's not going to live. But this this one is a little tragic because we get it early in the film, especially because the little brother is heavily affected by the fact that his dog is missing. Yet the older siblings know that the dog is dead, but just don't have the courage to tell their mother or their brother, their younger brother. So yeah, it's definitely, it affects you if you're an animal lover. Definitely. Oh, for mm-hmm. sure. uh, but that's it for me guys. Uh, I guess, uh, Mike, you want to close this one out for us?
0: All right. Well, that's no more room in hell. Number 45. We are rapidly. Well, I guess rapidly is the wrong word considering. Ah! we we oftentimes move our recording dates but well, let's say we're getting closer to big episode number 50 we're, we're going to try to plan something for that you know I don't think we'll deviate crazily from our normal format but you know 50 episodes is nothing to you know scoff at so we'll probably try to work some extra things in that um, but other than that you know uh, we're right about in the middle of May exactly in the middle so We'll try to work on getting another episode out, but if not, you know, early June. Um, But before we get out of here, yeah, let's find out where else people can be heard and what's uh, going on lately with their show. So, Venom, I'll start with you. What do you have on tap?
1: All right. The latest episode of No More Room in Hell Presents Creature Comforts is episode eight. It is currently available. Um, Bo Ransdell from Legion Podcast returns um, to be a guest as we discuss um, The Relic, 1997, I believe. Yeah, 1997's The Relic uh, with Tom Sizemore and Penelope Ann Miller. Yeah, Penelope Ann Miller. Um, Fun episode. Had a lot of fun with uh, Bo on that one, obviously. He's a returning guest, so we always have a good time with him. Check out that one. Uh, next episode is going to be, of course, duh, episode nine, but we're going to be looking at Cloverfield, as Derek mentioned earlier in the episode, um, and we'll actually have a special guest for that one. So tune in there and see who our very special guest will be to discuss Cloverfield um, on, of course, Fresh Cuts, the weekly show. You know, we do an episode every single week. Our latest episode is on uh, an infected movie that's currently on Shudder. Virus 32, I believe, is the title of that one. That is a um, Spanish-language zombie-slash-infected, you know, more 28 days later than Dawn of the Dead, definitely. Um, That's currently available on Shudder. The movie is, of course. The podcast is available wherever you get your podcast. so check that out. But I am most excited for our next episode because our next episode, we are finally... Going to get to take a look at the movie that many genre fans have been waiting for this year, and that is, of course, The Sadness. Um, This is a film that actually came out in uh, Korea last year and um, made a big splash at festivals. And, you know, when it had its theatrical run, it was something that American horror fans have been waiting for um mike myself and our co-host don from fresh cuts we all bought the uh german release of the 4k steelbook of the sadness yes we love that movie that much that we wanted to spend 46 american dollars to get a movie a month before it hit shutter because uh the movie did get its official us release on shutter this past may 12th so it is officially available if you are a fan of zombie slash infected horde movies please check out the sadness currently available on shutter and then join us for our review on the latest episode of fresh cuts um from what I understand, Derek will be with us again. So the four No More Room in Hell boys will be together again to discuss the sadness, which I'm, I'm trying to bite my tongue because I don't want to say too much about it because I am just going to go nuts on Fresh Cuts tomorrow night about this movie. But uh, I'll, I'll bite my tongue for now. And that's it for me, Mike.
0: Okay. Next up, Derek, what do you got for everyone to listen to?
2: I got nothing. I'm just gonna be here to talk about how they have glaucoma on all their eyes and the sadness tomorrow.
1: (laughs) That's the virus. (laughs) It's glaucoma.
0: (laughs) Didn't you get a new episode of Cinema Attack lately, or were you just? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. That's right. That's right. We did have an episode that came out with the ritual, and no one gets out alive. Uh, We we got a new one that should be out. After uh, this one, we're going to record that one after this episode comes out, so I'm not going to announce it yet, yeah, because you never fucking know. I always jinx
0: myself. All right, well, in that case, it goes to me, and I actually do not have anything other than uh, the aforementioned Fresh Cuts that will be coming. To, well, we'll be recording it tomorrow, probably will be out Tuesday or Wednesday. And then if you're listening to this, that means it's very much likely already available. Also, I'm I'm sure ben to mention it, sadness is currently streaming on Shutter, so no, you don't have to get the 4K necessarily, but uh because you probably already listened to Fresh Cuts before you hearing this, I'll say uh, you probably want to get the 4K after watching it. So there. <laughs> there's my uh there's my spoiler of a review that you probably already listened to. So kind of not actually a spoiler retroactively speaking, I guess. So <laughs> I guess I'm crossing my fingers that because the yeah, p- episode came out before up. this. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, the next episode 46, I believe that goes back to Derek's picks. Correct, Derek?
2: Yeah. i not really too, I got a few ideas. Probably not. Later
0: around, on. Okay. Yeah. All right, sweet. Um, Well, in that case, that's going to close out the show. Um, Thanks, Venom, for resurrecting uh, the burning questions uh, uh, segment properly. It's funny because we've kind of like indirectly had one the past couple episodes just from other conversation. But we finally uh, followed through with our, hey, we should add other stuff in there when we don't have a burning question. So, Uh, Good job finding that. And then, yeah, we'll try to be back ASAP. And uh, I guess with that said, let's get out of here and say bye to the listeners.
1: Bye. Adios, folks. Hail Satan.
0: Yeah, and when you go out of country, do not (laughs) travel off the beaten path. We you know that by now.
2: No, when you go out of country, don't bring Jenna Malone with you.
0: Don't bring Ah. Jenna Malone. Stick to the Moors. Uh, don't... Don't get in a local's car that says, Oh, I got a cool place I can show you that no one knows about.
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Don't bring your mom, either.
1: Mom mom might actually make you safe. Oh, yeah. She'll be the the voice of reason. No, you don't want to go with that stranger. (laughs) All right, let's get out of
0: it. Peace.
1: Adios.